You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barakini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. Boys, another week in the books. The Olympics have started, uh, at least for the women's side anyways. Um, and maybe the worst, I mean, worst topic to talk about this week, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> Alex, how's it going this week? Things are going well, man. I mean, uh, I, I kicked COVID out of my house, which is good. I was the, uh, yeah. you listened last week, I was the last man standing in my house to uh, contract the nasty, nasty Omicron variant, but uh, we got rid of it. I'm, I, I'm fully recovered from COVID. I, I was playing, I spent a good two, three hours playing some pond hockey with my brother today. It's the first time I've actually gotten out and been able to skate on a, on an outdoor rink and since before COVID. So that was pretty cool. Um, my little brother, he's just sort of he's just sort of starting to play hockey. He had never held a stick while skating before today, so we're taking baby steps. But uh, he, he's getting there. He's Oakley might be able to outskate him if, if they were to go from one end of the ring to the other. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, that's pretty much all I've got going on. Great to get back out on the ice. Absolutely, absolutely, Peter. How's your week been? Uh, not as exciting as Alex's getting back on the pond, although I would like to, you know, hit the ice at some point. Um, been too long for me. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've coached really long time since I've actually played any meaningful games. I think the last time was like two years in beer league, but then my back started to, you know, give me issues and that forced me into early retirement. So yeah, that's uh, trying to look to bounce back with that, but uh, yeah, relatively quiet week, you know, um, just getting ready, watching some of the Olympics coverage um, or trying to stay up as late as possible. I mean, time zones and differential, I mean, it, I mean, really can't control that, but you know, I try to get as much coverage at night before I go to bed and then catch up first thing in the morning. So yeah, I mean, it's fun. Let's hope that maybe at some point I could stay up till like one o'clock in the morning to watch a hockey game. So fingers crossed for that. Doubt it, but. I was going to say, Jesus Christ, you're starting to sound like me. 33. <laughs> um, hey, man. It's, it, it's rough. It's rough at this, at this age, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, the body starts <laughs> to hurt. Boys, I'm like, you, you guys each have like at least 10 years on me, and I'm still <laughs> – I'm at that. I'm at that stage too. So I don't know what that says about me. I'm over here nodding out. It's only 11:45. Well, guys, I think the last time I put on skates, I was about. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I shouldn't say skates. Last time I played any hockey, I was probably about five years younger and about 20 pounds uh, lighter. So, uh, if if I'm gonna suit up anytime soon, it's gonna be a full set of equipment from played against sports or some. Something where, you know, make, make hockey affordable again. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a, it's been a crazy week. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously um, the political BS that's going on in, in Canada right now, we're not going to get into it because we've, we've done that before and we don't want to, we don't want to get into it. Um, but uh, yeah, today's uh, today's actually my anniversary, my wedding anniversary with my wife. Congrats, buddy. Congratulations. Happy, happy, Thank you. happy. Thank happy. You. Six years married. Uh, next week, it'll be 18 years that we've been together. And I got a nice little message from uh, 
Hobber over here, just, uh, you know, <laughs> Jesus, that's like you, you've been with her since you were 15. Yes. Yes. We've been together since we were 15. <laughs> Forbes, Forbes. I just, I'm just going to put this into perspective for you for a second. Yeah. When you started dating your wife, um, 18, I was four years old, man. <laughs> I was four fucking years old when you started dating. Uh, your wife. <laughs> yeah. It's wow. insane, man. That's I'm insane. Flies, eh? It's been a while. It's been a while. The the craziest part, here's the craziest part for you. Four, first four years, long distance. I lived in Oakville. She was here in London. We saw each other every other weekend. Uh, drove down and, and well, we didn't drive down. We had our parents drive us down, but, uh, you know, get a little weekend in there and, and back home to high school. So, yeah, it was a uh, crazy time, crazy time, but uh, things have worked out. I'm, I'm now here in London and like, like you all know, we have a little guy at 20 months old and, and things are, things are going full steam ahead. So um, yeah, it's been a ride, crazy week, like I said, but uh, it's uh, it's hockey time. It's hockey talk. It's, it's our Sunday night ritual. Uh, drinks crazy are flowing time. at least on this side. The crazy, crazy time. time carries over into the hockey talk. That's right. That's right. Uh, and it just doesn't seem fitting that we don't start this episode off with the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> and Rocky Wirtz and town hall discussions and possibly, possibly one of maybe arguably the worst organization in hockey right now. And that's including the Arizona Coyotes who can't play in front of more than 5,000 people. So with that in mind, Peter, you want to kick us off here with Rocky Wirtz in the Chicago Blackhawks? Oh God. Um, that was the most embarrassing thing I have seen in quite some time. I mean, like, how do you how do you have the audacity to do this town hall meeting? You know, open questions, open everything. You know, I, I believe it was Mark Lazarus who was asking the questions. And simple question, getting down into business, wanting to get his take on it, doing what a journalist is supposed to do, asking the tough but honest questions. And then he gets a response like that as if it was a child throwing a tantrum. Like, I, I don't understand how well of an image this is going to portray when the team and the owner and everyone is under their harsh criticism or, you know, or respective criticism with everything that has unfolded. And then he goes out and says this. And I believe the team sent out a message previously before. And then Rocky Wirtz says the comments that he did on the tirade and just the backlash that he just went on. And then... Everyone would like literally everyone was just jaw dropped. I don't know what else to say. It was embarrassing for him, his family, the team, and everyone else involved. I mean, the, the whole organization is already embarrassment, anyways, with how they're handling everything. And, you know, he wanted to answer an honest question about how this team is going to go forward to prevent another situation that involves a, another player like Kyle Beach. And that's the response that you give. That is absolutely disgusting. And this was also tweeted from Emily Kaplan earlier this evening when we were recording the Chicago Blackhawks fired longtime head athletic trainer of their AHL affiliate for sexual harassment in November. 
like it's just nonstop with this team. Like at one at like at what point do they have any sense of morals or decency or ethics at this point and just say, you know what? Whole organizational overhaul and let's go in with a better mindset and try and make a difference. Cause this team isn't doing that at all. I'm I'm confused at what you meant by uh it's just nonstop. Like the uh the sexual misconduct is nonstop in this organization or the fact that they, there's no transparency. There's absolutely no transparency, no, transparency. no, no transparency, no accountability, um, cover up after cover up after cover up. They think they got away with it, but everything comes to light in the end. And that's the issue. If it, everything that, and this, this happened in November, they held, no one knew about this until three, four months later right now. Again, like you said, transparency, accountability, and just doing the right thing. They do none of that. And that is absolutely disgusting. And I just want to throw a shout out to Greg Boysen, who wrote a really great piece about this whole entire situation, the comments and everything. Um, Give that a read because it really is worth it. And you know what? I mean, this organization is a joke. It, It really is. It's worth noting too that the firing came in November. Um, yeah. The actual misconduct happened prior to that, and it was an investigation that led to the firing of DJ Jones. Um, and that's they they only released the information, I believe, after the Jenner Block report was released. Or sorry, they they fired him after the the Jenner Block report was released. So mm. it's. And Mark Lazarus, um, he also noted that like this is this is the problem right now is that they should have announced this firing regardless of how small the firing is. The fact that it, yeah. it had to do with sexual misconduct once again within an organization that has already dealt with sexual misconduct, with probably the biggest story of sexual misconduct in hockey, um, yeah. and they chose basically not to announce it but just kind of. Sweep it under the rug. Sweep it under the rug again. So the transparency just wasn't there. The thing that got me, and I think think both of you would agree, is that not only did Rocky Wirtz basically try and silence the the media from from doing their job, which is exactly exactly what they're not supposed to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, freedom of speech, freedom of information, it's all there. It's all there. Freedom Um, of the press. Freedom of the press. It's all there. The The thing that got me was that the NHL came back, Gary Bettman came back and said, yep, it was just an emotional moment. We all have them. Um, and Alex, no, we I, don't. Alex, no, we don't, Gary. <laughs> I see you kind of ducking your head there, but uh, I'm going to throw this one at you because I know, I know how much you – you love Gary Bettman's uh, press conferences when it comes to this kind of BS. I'm not even going to go right to Bettman. I'm just going to, I'm going to go back to Rocky words. Cause I've got my own take on that as well. I cannot believe the, f- I can't believe how truly hard he fumbled the bag on this one because listen, Everybody at this point knows what the Chicago Blackhawks are all about. And everybody knows that, you know, Kyle beach did, at the time, you know, when, when he was able to tell a story on TSN and do that interview with Rick Westhead and the fact that Joel Quenville lost his job and all of a sudden the Chicago Blackhawks are being painted in this light 
he did get some justice in a sense, but literally all Rocky Wirtz had to do was read whatever stupid PR statement. I'm assuming, I don't know what his PR team was thinking. I don't know what the, what, I don't even know where to begin with this. All Rocky Wirtz had to do, I can't even formulate a coherent sentence right now. All Rocky Wirtz had to do was say some stupid PR driven bullshit, which we all know that Gary Bettman is the absolute king of. All he had to do was sit there and say something along the lines of we've got, uh, we've got support systems in place for any future victims of this that choose to come forward, et cetera, something like that. And nobody would have said a word. I'm sure you would have gotten a couple of people, you know, calling out the Blackhawks for their bullshit because we all know that we all know that, you know, what they're about at this point, but Rocky Wirtz went out of his way to basically shit his pants on live TV. And I just, I, I, I can't get past the fact that he just, all he did in that instance right there was just truly show his whole ass to the world and kind of confirm everybody's belief that he doesn't give a shit about Kyle Beach and he doesn't give a shit about anything except for making the situation go away. Because it's just it, like, it, it, and especially the wording of the question made that so much worse too. Not the, not that the wording was bad, but the way that the question was worded to him. He didn't even mention Kyle Beach by name. He didn't mention 2010. He All he said was, what do you guys plan to do for victims? Or what, like, what kind of support system do you have in place for victims yeah. that come forward with things like this in the future? How do you plan to empower those victims and empower people and make them feel safe in your organization? And that's what I'm saying. All Rocky words had to do was say something PR driven and people would have been able to at least look past it. But he chose to throw a tantrum in front of all the reporters in Chicago and basically just tell Kyle Beach, fuck you. We don't care about you. And you know what? Shout out to the Steve Dangle podcast because Steve, Steve yes. Dangle put this into perspective perfectly. Uh, I forget what the exact quote was, but it was something along the lines of, fuck you. I'm Rocky Wirtz. I am rich. I don't solve problems. I give you problems, which I then pay you to solve. That's literally all Rocky Wirtz is doing here. Yeah. Steve hit the nail on the head. and. It's just, I, I can't wrap my head around how the, the incredible ability that this organization has to embarrass themselves and to really just show the entire world that there's a reason we're still having these conversations about hockey culture and how to make it a more inclusive and accepting space. Because so long as you've got owners like Rocky Wirtz up there, basically screaming to the media saying, we're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to, we're not going to talk about, you know, we're not going to talk about anything that happened. We're just going to sweep it under the rug. That's essentially what he said. And it, that, that quote in particular stood out to me more than the other ones. When he said, we are not going to talk about Kyle beach. That one, 2010, that one slapped me right across the face. It was as if somebody took a brick and slapped me right on the right, right in the face, just like that. I couldn't believe the way he said that because literally the whole point of everything Rick Westhead has done in the past year, everything that Katie Strang has done in the past year, everything Emily Kaplan's done in the past year. The whole purpose of all of that was to give Kyle Beach the justice that he deserved and encourage people to talk about it. The whole fucking story is about the fact that the Blackhawks swept this case under the rug for 11 years and that they didn't talk about it. So how can Rocky Words be so stupid to get up there in front of those reporters and say the words? He didn't even dance around it. He outright said the words, we are not going to talk about Kyle Beach. Then what the fuck was the point 
of your statement back in December. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try and act like I'm surprised. I, like, I don't think anybody's surprised at this point. That's why I let off with that. Nobody yeah. is surprised to hear of anything that goes on within the Blackhawks organization right now because they are a pile of shit organization, top to bottom. But it's just, I can't believe they didn't even try to hide their true colors in this press conference. And I keep saying they, but it's icky words. And then, sorry, one more thing. The fact that Danny Wirtz tried to jump in there mm-hmm. and save his dad's ass and say, listen, we actually, we do have plans in place for these people. I will elaborate on that. And Rocky wouldn't even let him. Like in that instant, how tone deaf and blind yeah. and oblivious do you have to be to the fact that you just fucked over your entire organization in front of your a family. live audience? And your family. And your family. And your son tried to save you and you, you cut him off. He wouldn't even let his son speak. He said, nope, no, 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 no. We're not talking about Kyle Beach anymore. It's like, buddy, what were you accomplishing with that? The fact that he was, just... able to shut, he was able to shut his own son up just says a lot about him and the whole entire situation. His son actually wanted to try and give some sort of statement to say, hey, like you said, Alex, this is what we're going to do. Honestly, if... If if I was if I was a son or like if I was in that situation and my what my father like told me that straight up to just say no no don't say anything you shut up see ya all right I'm trying to help you you're on your own now you know simple I'm, as that you know, if I'm in that situation I'm playing the senality card a hundred percent I'm saying like. He suffered head trauma, you know, months ago, Addiction. and all of a sudden, this is like I'm I'm playing every card that I can. What's more embarrassing about this whole situation is that, like, moments after, and, and I say moments, but days after, they posted for a media relations uh, job <laughs> on the NHL <laughs> job site. Good luck, whoever's going to get hired. You know for what? Because you got before a lot we of work before we move hands. forward. Before we move forward, this conversation. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Peter, but oh, I just no, want to. I, I want to. I, I want to present one more hot take. I'm sorry, but at what point do the Chicago Blackhawks just completely dissolve their organization and rebrand with a new name and just yeah. a new start for start fresh, new owner, new GM. I know it's never going to happen because I know the NHL owners all have each other's backs and you know, there's no one really in place that can fire walk Rocky words from that position. But like, I don't know how the hell we're going to be able to move forward and look at the Blackhawks the same way ever again. Especially with the news of this head coach, the AHL, or not head coach, sorry, the AHL strength and conditioning coach that was fired for sexual harassment they just decided not to report on for a couple months. I just, I don't understand how at any point we're going to be able to move past this. And especially as these, these, these cases of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct keep coming out, like, I I don't know. I'm probably, I'm probably talking out of my ass here, but I just, I fold the organization, man. (laughs) Like, fuck yeah, no, Alex. I was just, I was just only saying that, like that job posting that Andrew mentioned. Just good luck, because you're gonna have a lot of work to do to try and re- restructure, reorganize everything, and come up with some sort of plan. Because this is just a total mess. Yeah, I like my my thing is that it to go off your point there, Alex. It, it's tough to absolve the entire organization. I can see from an ownership standpoint that, you know what, you kind of just, if you're the league right now, you kind of want to 
distance yourself from the ownership group that is behind the Blackhawks. Obviously, the NHL is not going to do that. Uh, it's Gary Bettman. He's he's basically tied down by a chain. He's their he's their dog, right? Like he's he's just their their one that comes in front of the media in, in front of the cameras and just yaps. He's the he's the he's the talker, right? But what's crazy about this situation is that the question that was asked might have been the most simplistic question to answer mm-hmm. from any standpoint. You could have put a fucking monkey in front of that microphone. <laughs> And they would have been able to answer that question. You could have put a cow in front of that microphone and they would have been able to answer the question. They've got brains the size of a pea. Um, Even if the cow said moo, it would have made more sense. Are there any barnyard animals that Rocky Wirtz would have done a better job at answering that question then? I'm, I'm not convinced there are. Maybe a rat, just because I don't like rats. No, no, even, even the fucking rat would have some integrity and actually give a, give a proper answer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just like, it was such an easy question. And to follow that up, like, it was almost like they were giving you an opportunity to, to, to shed some positivity on, on a season and a year that's been absolutely abysmal for, for this organization. Um, Like he was giving you an opportunity to say, Hey, yeah, look, we do have things in place. We do have this in place for anybody that comes forward. We're going to help them through this. It was literally a, a perfect PR moment for the organization and for Rocky Wirtz to say, yes, yes, our team is shit. Our team is absolute shit. Our year has been garbage. Kyle Beach is like, you know, this, this monumental piece that has come out and shared his story and our organization failed him. And yet we have a moment right now to come out and shed a little bit of positivity on our organization, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to come back and I'm just going to shit all over the organization. Once mm-hmm. again, Even, he that, sent them back to square one. Like there's no other way to put it. it, it like it's Mark, unbelievable. Mark, Mark Lazarus threw Rocky Wirtz like an 80 mile an hour fastball right down the middle and Rocky Wirtz swung fucking five seconds before it reached the plate. That's how bad it was. I just, and on the topic of Mark Lazarus, if you don't have an athletic subscription, buy one just so you can read his article on that aftermath. I don't want to take any of the, any of the spotlight away from Greg Boysen because he's one of our own with the hockey writers. Mm-hmm. And he also wrote a great piece on it. Like you said, Peter, but Mark Lazarus did not hold back. He did not yeah. pull any punches and it was honest to God. I think one of the best sports journalism articles I've ever read. So if you don't have an athletic subscription, get one, read that article, cancel it. Seriously. Yeah. I, 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 great writer, as as you mentioned, and, and, you know, the, the work that he does, the the fact that he's, he called him out almost immediately. Um, And and what makes it even better was that the follow-up question from another journalist, I forget who it was. Phil Thompson. Phil Thompson. Thank you. Yeah. Phil Thompson. Yep. uh, Was the exact same question. (laughs) And looking for an answer. And that's, that was the beauty of the whole moment was just like, you know what? You don't want to answer it. Perfect. We're going to ask it again. Someone else wants to answer it. We're going to ask it again. Continuous, continuous. And and that should be the first question at every media availability for Rocky words for the rest of the year, for the rest of, you know, his existence behind the scenes with the the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't believe how rich, how, how, just how unbelievably rich it was, man. I genuinely can't like, and how rich it was of Gary Bettman to say that Rocky Wirtz had a moment <laughs> that Rocky Wirtz, like 
That was beyond a moment. Uh, to, to people do have moments, but that was way beyond a moment. If that if that's Rocky Wirtz's moment, then I I fucking feel horrible to hear about the kind of moments that Red Kyle Beach has had over the past eleven years. Oh god! If Rocky yeah. Wirtz had a moment because this poor fucking billionaire had to answer a JD question two. about his sexual misconduct JD that he two. Helped. JD two again, yeah. JD two, JD three, mm-hmm. the ones that have come after mm-hmm. him, the ones that the the Blackhawks lined this guy up to to continue the 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 deviance that he he had beyond the organization itself. I mean, think about the moments that they've had, and and they weren't even at the professional level. Um, and it just blows my mind to think that they they kind of just brushed all under the rug and said, yeah. You know, he'd be great. He'd be great to go down to Miami. He'd be great to go to here. He'd be yeah. great to go there. Yeah, he's a great coach. Um, I it it, it oh, is. Oh no, you know what? Actually, Forbes on that note, they didn't. That's their big defense right there. Is that they didn't specifically tell Brad Aldrich to go coach at University of Miami, Ohio. They just they just recommended him to any university. So it's not their fault that Miami hired him. That's that was their defense there, and it's fucking bullshit if you ask me. You still gave a recommendation regardless if you went to school or not. Like it's irrelevant. You're the one that still provided that recommendation, whether it went to a school or not. Like I, Mm -hmm. that's that's just textbook. That's just textbook again. Textbook example of doing everything possible to just sweep problems under the rug because that's all they care about is saving their image. I'm curious though how (sighs) how poorly did. Gary Bettman opened the door to the next time that somebody has an outburst. I mean, if you're, if you're an owner right now, if you're a GM, you can essentially do and say whatever you want at this point, because he's opened the door now to say like, you know what? I was just having a moment. I was having yeah. a moment. Right. Didn't Mark, didn't our own Mark Shag make a comment about if, if Gary Bettman said that, you know, what Rocky words had a moment, then John Tortorella should be like, you know, absolved. Of anything they did or something yeah. along that lines? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't have the full tweet in front of me, but I could have sworn I saw that. I'll probably correct myself next week just to make sure. But, I mean, how do you, how do you again, how do you have the audacity to actually go up on there and say, and say what he said? Because like, he doesn't care. Yeah, I know he, he, I know he doesn't care. But it's like... If you had some sort of remorse or some sort of guilt and you came out and said, again, listen, we, we are absolutely sorry. We are going to do everything we can to try and, you know, make sure this doesn't happen again. That's all he had to say. That's the part I can't He went on past. and on and on. And I'm like, dude, you're digging a hole so deep that you yourself can't even get out. And again, his son tried to come in and help. No, I don't want your help. And again, if I was in that situation, bye. See ya. You're on your own. Good luck getting any advice from me because if the first thing that you come to me for advice, if you're asking about, you know, a, a situation like this happens down later on, no, you, you told me to shut up. You ain't getting a word from me. This is your mess. You fix it. Everything that you say is going to be right. And yet the shittiest part is that this is going to happen again. It will. This is going to happen again. Yeah, and the the reason being is that not only did Rocky Wirtz open the door to the 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 idea that at the end of the day nobody gives a shit about you uh, as a as a victim, but mm-hmm. Gary Bettman closed that door and then opened it right back up again, and basically absolved Rocky Wirtz of any sort of um, 
wrongdoing. Wrongdoing, but uh, accountability. There was no accountability. Yeah. The accountability is gone. With, with, with Gary Bettman saying, you know what, it was a moment, the accountability is gone. And, and Works doesn't need to show any, any sort of remorse or any sort of accountability for making those comments. Um, I yeah. don't understand how, like, how you could possibly bomb something like that worse than what, what Rocky Words did. And yet, like, Gary Bettman is, if he's calling that a moment, what the fuck is an owner going to have to do to get Gary Bettman to, you know, punish him, I guess, if you want to, I'm not punish him, but you know, what, what, what is an owner going to have to do to get Gary Bettman to tr- actually hold him accountable? And I think that's, I, I think you answered your question, my question there already before. I don't think that there's ever going to be a point like that because you're right. The fact that, you know, Gary Bettman essentially called it a moment. Well, he did call it a moment, not essentially he did. The fact that he called that a moment and he let, Rocky Wirtz get away with that did open the door and essentially just remind all the other owners. It's like, Hey, just say the right things to the media. If you slip up, we've got your back. That's just pretty had much a bad day. <sighs> it's been two years I... of bad days, folks. It's been two years of bad days. Yeah. You don't see 10 us years of bad days. In this shit. Too. 10 years, 10 yeah. years, 10 years. <sighs> I'm just going to say this, you know what? Uh, we need some positivity right now. I'm just going to say this. Kyle Beach, you didn't hear it from Rocky Words, but you know what? You have our support. Simple as that. Uh, I, I don't know if you're listening. If you are, great. Um, you have our support. The hockey, the whole hockey community has your back and the support as well. We know what, what went wrong. And, yeah, I... I <sighs> I, I am I'm still I'm I'm still in shock and I'm trying to do something nice to try and show that hey Kyle we have your back but how but again this is overshadowing everything that Kyle Beach has gone through and it really is upsetting disappointing disgusting but again I'm just gonna it's probably the simplest thing Kyle again we we have your back and we support you 100% of the way no matter what Rocky Word says after this you are truly inspirational and brave to come through with this. And you know what, again, the whole hockey community supports you hundred percent. I mean, I mean, I really don't know what else to say because if he needs to hear something, he needs to hear that as opposed to what his own owner and what the whole entire team has done to him to this point. The unfortunate part about that statement. I mean, as much as, you know, what you're trying to do is, 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 share the the light at the end of the tunnel is that the whole hockey community doesn't have his back and that's the problem that's true hockey the whole hockey community doesn't have his back and Mm -hmm. i can't i can't even express to you how many people after after he had his like heartbreaking emotional tsn um interview with rick west said how many people came to me and said you know what yeah but he's he's like six four 200 pounds why didn't he just push him off and I, like for me, I was just like, I'm like, that's the most like seriously? disrespectful thing you could say to try and, and, that, and, and yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like I'm speechless now, but in the moment I'm just, I like, I went off. I was like, are you like, are you fucking kidding me? Like if you, if you're in that moment, your, your career's on the line, or maybe, maybe at that moment you weren't mentally tough to, to, to be able to do what you need to do in that moment. Maybe you were just so taken aback. Maybe you're in shock. There's so many things that play into that that you can't sit there and you can't victim shame. 
you can't blame them. It's, it's the same. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to get in this, but it's the same thing as the Toronto police coming out and saying, Hey, medical workers, don't wear your scrubs to work because you might get harassed and assaulted by truck drivers. You're preemptively victim shaming the people that are trying to do their fucking job. This, this kid, this kid was trying to do his fucking job and play a, a game of hockey. And he was basically left out to dry with some creep piece of shit. And people have the, the nerve to come out and say, yeah, well, you know what? Like six, four, 200 pounds, you know, what, what the fuck are you going to do? Well, you know what? I'd like to see those people in the exact same fucking spot and tell me what you were going to do. Tell me what you were going to do. Yeah. So it's so easy to sit there. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was was just going to say say it's soup. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, I can guarantee you that if you were in that position, you're not having the same conversation. Simple. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say it's easy to sit on the outside and speculate and say, oh, well, you know, he's 6'4". Like, I'm sure he could have held his own. I would have held my own in a fight if someone tried to do that to me. It's like, yeah. Did you have your fucking career dangling over your head? Didn't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. It's just – it's it's sickening. The whole Blackhawks storyline. I mean, this – I think we said it when we first talked about this, when this Kyle Beach first came out and spoke spoke with Rick. Um I think we said, like, this is just the beginning. Like, this is just the beginning. Uh, and, and, again, I know there's so many more people involved in this, but shout out to Rick Westhead, who, on top of this, on top of constantly investigating, constantly doing pieces that basically break this, this sporting world wide open. I mean, this is a guy who's dealing with a kid who who had cancer as well and was at Sick Kids, and – as a parent, I can only imagine, uh, like my, my, my son was in the hospital for seven days at the beginning of his life. And I can't, I can't even, I can't even explain to you guys that the emotion and, and, and the, the wear and the tear and, and uh, the uncertainty that comes with that. And this guy's, this guy's not only dealing with that or has dealt with that, but on top of that has, basically been there for every single person that needed needed somebody to talk to um and like i don't know i don't know it's it's sorry to start off on such a dark note but fuck man this this world just seems to be crumbling down right in front of us and fucking rocky words is at the top of it so um yeah congratulations enjoy your money you piece of shit uh anyways um yeah yeah, that maybe that's quote. <laughs> chalk it up, chalk it up. Goes into the sticks in the six hole. Everything, of fame. everything that we just said over the past half hour can be summarized to "fuck you, enjoy your money, a piece of shit." <laughs> sticks in the six swear jar. Yeah, do oh, I'm not gonna lie. Six swear jar is overflowing. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say I, I am absolutely surprised at myself that I did not drop any f f bombs or anything. I like I was literally holding myself back, but man, I I, I was this close. I'm I you maybe should maybe hold yourself back. Peter. I shouldn't. I probably Rocky shouldn't have to hold myself back. Deserve the benefit of the doubt. That's the thing. Like you know, growing up, I've always been too nice. So I was maybe, gonna say you're you're kind of like the the straight A student in this class, and and you got the deviant in the class clown over here. So I'm gonna uh, sit in front row, right in front of, front row, right in the middle. 
Uh, I was the back corner every time. <laughs> yeah. Breaking up I was candles. Some, I was somewhere in the middle. That's a good dynamic. <laughs> breaking up candles in the back in, in my, uh, you know, the old desk where you could like, you could actually go into the desk and like kind of break oh, yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. I used to, I used to break up candles in the back of my French class and throw pieces of, uh, when, when, when they turned the overheads on, lights off, used to throw wa- uh, candle wax around the room. <laughs> one oh time, God. One time got one stuck in a girl's braces, so. <laughs> Oh, oh, braces. I thought you were going to say got one stuck in a girl's hair. No, oh, fantastic. Man. Fantastic. Just started like throwing them, lobbing them. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's fantastic. Just... Fantastic. <laughs> As someone who had braces, man. No, I'm thinking I... from the perspective of the girl who had to deal with candle wax and her uh, braces. Yeah. As someone with, who had braces for like grade eight up until the end of high school i would have major beef with you if you ever did that to me hold on though hold on though don't you like use like wax so that it doesn't like yeah catch, oh, on, yeah. Your, catch on your cheeks anyway so i mean basically i mean yeah oh <laughs> uh, god uh, anyways guys um we're gonna jump over to our interview we didn't mention it off the top of the show but we had a great sit down nice 45 minutes with uh, james roberts from the offside hockey talk show uh he he does great work over there so the um, ultimate podcaster the ultimate yes. podcaster and he had some great stuff to talk about some really great topics um insight stories yeah, fantastic insight so great story about shanahan so listen in for that um but let's let's send it right over to james roberts <laughs> Folks, we are honored to welcome James Roberts to the show, host of Offside Hockey Talk and big Leaf fan from down east, Nova Scotia, Hollywood. You're from Hollywood, eh? Um, uh, you know what? Originally from Toronto, actually. Born in Newmarket, raised in Scarborough, moved here in 03. So I'm from Hollywood now, Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, right where uh, Nate and Sitter from. The sign's just down the street with uh, Sidney Crosby's name on it. So absolutely awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. I was going to say, I was, uh, I went down East with my wife, uh, what, three years ago now for the first time. Absolutely beautiful. I think it was a great decision for you to, to head out that way, especially the way the big, the big city is these days. Is it, oh, is yeah. it down East or is it, I think it's out East. Out I, East is okay, I've So said. I always say out East, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's, down. it's no, it's out East, it? man. It's out it East. Out it east. Is okay. out east Cause I've man. heard both. I have heard both. Well, here's the thing. I'm just thinking about it in my head right now. You either say up north, down south, down or south. out east or west. So, yeah. I, so I've always said out east, always, 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 always. Right. And then I got corrected once. And I was like, ever since then, I'm like, I try to catch myself. And I'm like, yeah, down east. And then like really? some people, some people like look at me weird, but I'm like, hey, look, I'm just going with what I'm told. You know how I pronounce names <laughs> in here? Like sometimes I'm oh, off, yeah. off base with that. I mean, it, maybe it's down east if you're going from like the most northern part of Quebec, but otherwise, I don't know. I'd say out east or out west. <laughs> no, it's definitely it's definitely out east, man. There we go. Well, yeah, now okay. you've got a you've got a second opinion from a fellow easterner. Here. There you go. There you go. If, if someone tells you otherwise, just say, "Hey, James Roberts told me." So that's right. That's right. <laughs> so James, let's kick it off here. Your your show, Offside Hockey Talk. Um, you know how to get started and uh, give us a little rundown of what what you're all about. Well, offside hockey talk, man, was just uh, my wife saying, man, you talk too much hockey. And <laughs> I can't keep up with what you're talking about. Um, you know, love to watch the games, love to go to games, whether it's junior games, doesn't matter. Moosehead's out here. Um, you know, get to watch the greats, got to watch McKinnon and all those guys. And it just came, well, how do I get to talk about hockey more and be able to put it out there for people who want to listen? And it was simple. It was, my wife got me a mic for my birthday, and away we went. 
And from there, it just grew from what it was to what it is now and just getting to talk to people about hockey. And like I was talking to the boys before, I mean, there's been nobody I've asked to come on this show that has said no. Um, the only way I've ever been blocked is if it's a current player and the team doesn't want them saying things they shouldn't be saying. Um, but other than that, man, it's just grabbing people and saying, hey, let's talk hockey. Let's talk about your career. Let's talk about your time in broadcasting or whatever you do. And that's where it's born from, and that's where it keeps going from. It's basically like two guys having a brew at a bar and just talking about everything that goes on. It's like running into your favorite person that does something in hockey and getting to sit with them and just pick their brain for stories. That's what it is. Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, I think the only person that's turned us down really is Dan Milstein. Um, and that's only because uh, I think he's – a bunch of his guys were getting traded from the Leafs at the time or, or what, what have you, so <laughs> – uh, anyways, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, that's kind of what we're going for here too, is just, you know, um, we, we, we discussed possibly recording in the morning and, and we decided, you know, it's, it's better to keep it at night cause we can sit here, have a couple beers and just, you know, shoot the shit a little bit about, uh, our blue and white. Well, I'll tell you the truth, boys. When I first started this show, I would record any time of day, anywhere, any place. So what I used to do is I tailored to whatever guest and there's pictures up and you guys have probably seen them. I used to record in my, my work truck. I bring my podcast bag, I call it, have my laptop, my pop filter, my mics, the lights, the whole setup. And I'd set it right up in the truck. I'd park for lunch and I would do my podcast, whoever it was. And I just had them in over the speakerphone, have the mic set up to pick it up. And away you went. Sounded great. Didn't have no problems. But I was able to bang out two or three episodes a day and then space them out through the week. So there was a point during the beginning of the pandemic that I was recording an episode every single day and having one up and just having different people on. So it's, you can do it any which way you want. Um, but I'm with you guys. It is better to be at nighttime. Um, you know, for you guys right now, it's 930 out there. It's 1030 out here. So it gets a little long in the two sometimes, but I love it. I love talking about hockey. And like I said, I've recorded my lunch truck. I record anywhere. It don't matter to me. Let's go. Let's talk hockey. Let's go. Fuck. I think we found our title for this episode, boys. The ultimate podcaster. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I've never heard of someone doing their pod in a work truck. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. You got some serious dedication for that. Uh, listen, I love. I love the show, and it all uh, was born from a conversation with Darren Dupont, which is the producer, well, one of the producers for. I think Clark will correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, for the Rod Peterson show. So I had him on, and he was just talking about, hey, you know, where do you have spare time? Where can you do more stuff? Where can you put up more content? And I was like, man, I'm in my work truck. I have a an hour lunch where I sit there and listen to Hockey Central. And he's like, well, do your own thing, do your podcast, record TikToks. And a lot of my TikToks that you guys see, I change out of my work gear and I put on my leaf gear and then I just throw on a green screen behind me and I record my TikToks. So it's the same thing, man. You just got to find time when you have it to do it. And for me, I'm a dad. I have two daughters. They have cheer. My wife runs her own flower business. I work 40 plus hours a week. Then you got the Leafs on TV. You got to find time. And that's the only time I got. So I'll use it as rock. Oh, yeah, again, dedication right there. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should plan a you should plan like a cross country trip and like drive across Canada in your work truck and stop in every hockey city and talk to someone from that city. I think that'd be that I would, think that'd be a really cool trip. That would be awesome if I wasn't just a local truck driver. That'd be wicked to go across the country and do it. But right now, I don't know if you want to be a truck driver going across Canada. You might get frowned upon. Oh, yeah. Probably probably not the best not time. Not the sway in that direction, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get me started. Right, don't get yeah, me started. Right hey, I will say, though, the past couple of weeks, 
I have gotten more honks and waves as a truck driver here in Halifax than I've gotten in eight years driving that truck. So I'll take it right now. I'll wave back, yeah. you know. I'm not part of your convoy, but hey, thanks for waving. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, uh, James. So we're gonna get to some Leafs talk here, and I, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna throw you a fastball down the middle, and I get your take on the arguably the most polarizing topic in Leafs Nation right now. Uh, it's been a bit of a rough start to 2022 for Jack Campbell, as we all know. Um, you know, he is still a Vesna candidate, but these last stretch of games have been pretty. Uh, pretty rough and they're uh, aside from obviously his last start against the devils there. But um, <clears throat> how would you balance the workload between Peter Mrazek and Jack Campbell moving forward? Is it, uh, do you think you got to maintain some sort of loyalty to Campbell as the number one, or is it more of just a, you know, give whoever's the hot hand, the runs or the reins rather. I don't want to give anybody the runs. It's not a good thing to have. Um, <laughs> yes, I know it's late at night for me guys. So any joke that comes to my mind, I'm going to throw it out there, but no, um, this is the place here, here's the thing. It. You, you know what Jack Campbell's capable of. You know that he's your starting goaltender. You know what he can bring for you in the playoffs. You've seen it last year against Montreal. The team fell apart in front of him. It wasn't just him. You can't solely blame him for that. Um, so I would say this is the problem you have with Freddie. You need to give Jack his rest. And I got chirped by David Alter for saying, you know, Jack Campbell you know, needed some rest. He was tired. And he's like, he hasn't played in like 30 days. But it's the thing. When you're a starting goaltender, it's all between the years. And I don't know about you guys, when you think about something all the time, every day, constantly, whether you're a starting goaltender, whether you're going to your work, your job, whatever it is, it's mentally taxing if you're constantly thinking about it and having no break. And for Anderson and for Campbell, there really hasn't been much of a succession plan behind them to be able to give them a mental break, you know, and guys get burnt out. Everybody gets burnt out. We all got COVID fatigue. Everybody's burnt out. So you look at Jack Campbell and say, okay, I know what you can do when you're 100% ready to rock and roll. So I'm not concerned of what you can do. What I want to see is what Petr Mrazek can do between the pipes, because I want to see what he can be capable of if we need to call him in the playoffs, if we need somebody down the stretch, if Campbell needs more time off. And right now you haven't given Mrazek a lot of rope to play, but you know what you have in Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell knows what the deal was when Mrazek was signed, a 1A, 1B situation. And both these goalies have been part of that before. So for me, I'm not concerned about Campbell. He'll rebound back into form. He's hard on himself anyway. His teammates love him. You look at how they went out and played for him last night. They love him. They love him to death. But the Leafs need to see what they have in Mrazek. And I definitely think February will be a really big telltale of what the Leafs feel about Mrazek. But he's not going anywhere either. A lot of people saying he's trade fodder. He will be here at least until the offseason. They brought him in for this reason, to help Campbell along. Because, guys, remember, this is Campbell's first full season as a starter as well. So these are all new things for him, new fatigues, new learning how to battle through different things. And you throw any goalie at me and tell me this goalie's perfect. There's no goalie who's perfect. Every goalie has speed wobbles, but it's on the team in front of them. It's indicative of those players in front of the goaltender to set up and do the right things in front of Campbell when he's not playing at his top form. And we've seen it all season long. Campbell saved the bacon. Now it's time for the team in front of him to save the goalie. Win a few games for him while he's playing shitty. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I like how you bring up the fact that you need to know what you have in Mrazek ahead of the playoffs. Because, you know, obviously if you've got an A1 starting goalie and you go into the playoffs, the general expectation is as long as they're healthy and as long as they don't start seriously slumping, they're going to be starting every single game. But for a guy like Jack Campbell, who as we've seen in the past does – 
tend to have some dur- durability issues from time to time. Um, knowing what you have in Mrazic, he could potentially be a huge option if something like that were to happen, if Campbell were to go down with an injury in the playoffs. And, you know, you're not going to know what you have in him if you're letting him, him and his money ride the pine all the time, That's right? That's it, yep. And, you know, it, it is, it is uh, smart of you to bring that up as well about how, you know, because I, I got shirt by some people for saying the same thing. Yeah, Campbell hasn't played in close to a month. Neither is the rest of the team. But it's not necessarily, like, being physically fatigued. It is the mental fatigue. You know, the guy... Yeah. I think at the time I got into this argument, he had with whoever it was, I can't remember. But at the time of this, this debate that I had with the guy, it's like he had started 29 games on the season already. His career high in the season is 31. I'm pretty sure he's at 31 now. So uh, yeah, it's definitely important for them to really see what they've got in Mirazik because otherwise why, why'd you sign him if you're just going to keep him on the bench and only bring him in for back-to-backs? Well, it's a, a huge factor, part right? too as well. I was just also going to put the long layoff. From December yep. to January, I mean, the team collapsed in front of him. I mean, you could argue that, you know, the worst game that he had was probably the New York Rangers. But every other game that he's played, he gave them a fighting chance no matter what. And then, you know, obviously the questions start to build up. Is this going to be a problem? And at that point, Mrazek has gotten in, into some game action in about three games or so. Maybe not as strong opponents, but you know what? He is rising up to the occasion and playing relatively well. So you, you, you're starting to see some positives in that aspect. No, you definitely are. I, I just look at it for Campbell. The reason why you signed Mrazek is because you needed someone to play behind him. You need mm-hmm. someone to play behind Campbell that you're confident in between those pipes that can give you the games that you want. And they had to pay the price tag at 3.8 to get him on this team. And maybe it was because the fact he wasn't so sure about being a 1B. But you know what Campbell is, and that's what I'll keep going back to. You know Campbell's your starter. So now you need to let Mrazic play and let Campbell heal up and let Campbell just do what he has to do. We haven't had a solid backup here in Toronto since Curtis McElhaney was the backup to Freddie Anderson. So this situation here, this was born out of necessity. Dubas went out and got a guy that had a proven track record. Yes, some injury woes, red flags. It is what it is. He's now in the net 3-0 in his last three starts. Let him have the net. Let him run with it for a bit because you know what Freddie's capable of. Let Mrazic build his confidence. So if you need to call on him, you can. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of things, one of the things that a lot of people are kind of forgetting to mention here is what if we really do end up seeing the best case scenario here, which is having two elite starting goalies. I mean, look at Peter Mrazek last year. I'm not saying that he's going to put up numbers that can't, the numbers that Campbell has all season long, but he only played 12 games last season. But in those 12 games, he had Vezina-like numbers. And to that, I think back to the tandem that the Flyers had in, uh, I think it was 2009, Sergei Bobrovsky and Brian Boucher. Both of those guys, the Flyers could look to, and they could bank on them getting a good start out of their goalies. So, you know, obviously it's easier to bank on Jack Campbell being that starting goalie and putting up better numbers than Mrazek. But imagine a world where Mrazek posts similar numbers to Jack Campbell and you can go to either of those guys. That I, That's the best case scenario, in my opinion. And, you know, you're never going to unlock that potential if you don't play Mrazek, so. No, I 100% agree. He needs to be between the pipes. He needs to play for the Leafs. And like I said, confidence for a goaltender is key. And if you're not having a guy play, he can't build confidence. That means also the team in front of him can't build confidence in knowing he can make those saves because we know what it's like when we have a goalie in the, in the net and the Leafs in front of him are like, okay, is it, is it going to go in every time we have one, you know, defensive lapse and it shuts the whole team down for wanting to do anything offensively because they're trying to play so makeup game on the defensive side. So I really want to see what Mrazic can do. And he's, he's showing, Hey, 
I can pull you guys out of the fire when Campbell got yanked in the net the other night, and I can win you guys games with some big saves as well. We'll see what happens. And I, I think the team and him – I also think the coach uh, – can't speak, guys. I think the coach needs to get some confidence from Razik. His comments after the Arizona game were very indicative of a coach that did not trust a goaltender and did not have the confidence to run him out there. So now he's gone on and won some games and done some things, and Sheldon Keefe has made positive comments toward Mrazek. So Sheldon Keefe is very cut and dry. He'll throw you under the bus if he has to, and that includes the entire team. And he'll stay, even if you're winning. It's still not good enough, and I love that. I, lo- I want a coach to hold the team's feet to the fire because that means it matters, not just through the 82-game season, but in the playoffs. And if you do it for the 82-game audition, when it comes time to sing the song, you can do it all the way through the playoffs and carry that tune. Brutal honesty is definitely going to be key going down the stretch. And you mentioned before about the trade deadline, about, you know, Peter Morasic and his, you know, teams getting interest on him. But Elliot Friedman reported this past week or on Saturday that, you know, the Leafs are inquiring about Josh Manson. And we've heard about Josh Manson, not last year, not the year before that, but for quite some time right now. And yep. you mentioned him on one of your videos as a potential trade chart target. And um, I'm just wondering – I mean, I, I watched the video about a couple times to get your insight, and it was actually it was absolutely really great. But has anyone else piqued your interest since that video came out that you didn't have on that list before? Scott Mayfield, New York Islanders. Um, he's yeah, another guy. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Haber is big on him. Um, there's a few guys that that definitely piqued the interest. Another guy. Just imagine this, folks. Zdeno Chara in a Leafs jersey. How much he tormented the Leafs with the Bruins. Just imagine uh, him finally being a bottom pair guy with Toronto. Um, it's up to him. His future is in his own hands. The Islanders will deal him if he wants to go somewhere if they can't get back into it, which I don't think they will. I think they're too far out at this point. And I think they may have to start accepting that fact. And it may not be much to get him either. And the cap hit is not going to be much either. So that's a guy you can really look at. But Mayfield for me. But I was steady beating that drum on McNabb. And when he signed his extension, my heart broke. Because that was a guy I wanted the Leafs to get. <laughs> I made the tagline. I wanted that minute-munching, shot-blocking, net-clearing defenseman who could play at 20 minutes a night. And that was him right there. And that's what the Leafs need. Because why? When Muzzin goes down, it's like someone pulled the pin out of the defense and they all seem to fold like a house of cards. It just seems that way, especially in the playoffs. Because he's the only one who brings the physicality game in and game out. So they need another one of him. Manson would be great. Mayfield would be great. DeHaan even. Luke Shen on a lesser kind of thing would be all right. Um, But the Leafs want to go big. They want somebody big. And that's what I feel. And I think the Leafs are going to push. And I think I made the, uh, the post earlier about Arizona willing to eat cap space and, you know, in return for some assets. See you later, Nick Ritchie. That's where he's going. That's exactly where he's going. And it's not going to be for Kessel or Chikrin or anybody else. It's going to be a cap dump. Okay, because everybody's like, oh, you're going to trade Nick Ritchie to well, add some more things and get chicken. It's not the way it works. They're going to take that salary for you. Nick Ritchie's going to go waste away in Arizona, unfortunately, but that's just what it is right now. And you'll have that $2.5 million. The only reason why everybody got excited about moving Mrazek is it's $3.8 million. You can definitely use that to fill in your forward group, but you need him. And Chris Johnson was the one who brought up the fact the Leafs aren't going to deal him at least until the offseason when they know Jack Campbell's number. You know, I think the only issue that I have with 
acquiring Zdeno Chara is the fact that I guarantee he comes to Toronto and for the first time in his entire career, he's getting called for everything. Guarantee it. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. No, man. It's, it's I, I, I guarantee that. that'll happen. If, if, if we ever see Chara in a Leaf jersey for whatever reason, guarantee that'll happen. Sorry, hey, Peter, go ahead. We have the balancing factor. His name's Michael Bunting. He's second in the league. Also. There you go. That's so right. We'll balance it out. <laughs> I was just going to add something about, um, you know, you mentioned Brandon McNabb and his contract extension. I mean, I, I, I came up with something and I looked at Zach Whitecloud as a potential target, maybe. I mean, even though he signed his extension, it's probably going to be a long shot. But right-hand D, um, playing under both Theodore and Petrangelo on the right-hand side. And at some point, they're going to be facing a cap crunch themselves. So I, CJ said that maybe someone you look at term, I thought maybe that that would probably be in their wheelhouse and a cheap contract for six years, 2.75. So yes, yeah, it's, it's not a bad contract. And Dubas is in the same house as uh, Alex Anthopoulos was with the blue Jays. He likes deals like players with term, um, you know, controllable assets, he calls them because then you know what you have, right. And you mm-hmm. can work around the salary cap knowing what you have going forward. And yeah, white cloud would be great for that. Um, there's a lot of guys you look that got one or two years left too, that you can start looking at, but for whatever reason, for me, in my heart of hearts, I think the Leafs really do want to be able to get Andre Kasha back. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to take a run at Ilya Mikheyev. It'll probably be too expensive, but they want Jack Campbell back. So that's why I'm thinking for the Leafs this year, everything is rentals. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be rentals because they need the cap space coming off because they're going to want to pay Jack and they're going to want him in yeah. the net. So that's going to be the problem moving forward. So, you know, what do you do? You, you got to go and look and, Dubas has been great. Bargain bin shopping, bunting, David Camp for the defensive specialist. You know, I'm not mad at the signings he made. The only one that hasn't panned out really is uh, is Nick Ritchie. So, you know, maybe he finds, and he does this, he finds trades that none of us are thinking about. Did any of us think about Jake Muzzin when it happened? No. Anybody think about Clifford and Jack Campbell when it happened? No. Nah. You know, so the deals he makes are ones that he's got, thought processes we can't even fathom right we're all barking about the players that we want to see and he's like yeah you knuckle draggers here watch this one and you know him and brandon Pridham just make the work the fun thing was last year at the trade deadline when david alter was like yeah you have no idea what the Leafs are about to do and it's like okay mm-hmm. next thing you know freddie's on ltir uh zach hyman's on ltir they go and swing these deals they do a three-way trade they bring felino in everything's moving this way and that it's like wow all right cool and then they bring in Nash too to offset the balance. And when they bring back Hyman, everything's great. And we're all sitting here like, all right, well, I was told there's no math. And this is all math. <laughs> and that's what this trade deadline is going to be for the Leafs again. All math. Because you know someone's going on LTIR. And it's going to be someone with a pretty good cap hit. I'm hoping it's not Jake Muzzin. I think the best part about this year's this year's deadline is as well is on top of that, James. Um, I don't think that there's any quarantine rules this year, so you won't have to. That was my main worry last year. Is I hated the fact that after they traded for Felino, we had to wait like ten days before he could actually make his debut at the Leafs. So as as long as that's not in the cards this year, I think I'm happy. I don't think that's in the cards this year at all, which is great. But the only problem is you listen to Falk. Players don't want to come to Canada and play because. There are some restrictions to being here. And the fact is, too, you have no fans in the building, which sucks. Austin Matthews making the joke the other night, you know, all oh, the atmosphere is really set, you know, it's great. You know, players want to play in front of fans. And here, that dispels one thing, and I haven't got to say this anywhere. 
but it dispels the notion that players always said, oh, I don't hear the fans. I don't hear the noise. Apparently they do. They do. Apparently yeah. they really mm-hmm. do. And it, apparently it really matters. So we can always put that to bed now because players are oh, tuning out. I don't hear it. You don't hear the roar of the crowd. We just play the game. No, you guys definitely do. And it's been really in the forefront, you know, this past season a bit. So well, yeah, that's the, that's the big problem come trade deadline. All you have to do to support that take is uh, look at, you know, the playoffs last year with Montreal getting fans in the, in the building. And all of a sudden there's the series, uh, you know, game set match. Right. But um, I, I'm, you touched on basically every, every single one of the, uh, the Leafs acquisitions this off season. And I would almost include Lilligren and Sandine in that conversation as off season acquisitions, but I have my take. I want to know what you think has worked out as maybe the best acquisition for the Leafs this off season. Everybody would say Michael Bunting is a home run, which he is. He's outscoring Zach Hyman at a way lesser contract. And that's the easy one to go for. For me, it's David Camp. And why do I say that? The Leafs have been looking for a defense. And, and Haber knows this. As soon as they signed him, I put out the article. I was so pumped. And I got dumped on. Everybody, what do you mean? This guy scored one goal. Why are you excited? I'm excited because he's a defensive center. He gives Keith what Keith has been dying for his whole time as a head coach, which hasn't been very long, mind you, but this is what he's wanted, is a defensive-minded third line, a defensive specialist who can throw out in his own zone and takes care of his own zone, wins face-offs, does all that. Then you add his buddy, his good friend, Andre Kasha, to his wing. Absolutely no-brainer. And you can throw in Mikheyev, Engvall, it didn't matter. It can be an auditioning role of different players. But David Camp goes out there and does exactly what Philip Deneau did to the Toronto Maple Leafs and shut down other teams. And he helps. I don't know if you guys noticed, but when their line's getting the cycle game going, it's great. It's absolutely great. And Kasha is the best little buzzsaw, as Simon calls him, to go in there and just mess around with the puck. And if Ilya Mikheyev's playing the way he's been playing on that third line, scoring goals and creating havoc, you know, that to me, it was the most underrated signing Nobody understood it. Everybody was freaking out. You look at his numbers last year with Jonathan Taves out in Chicago. He was de facto basically almost number one center. He was the most defensive center they had. And he took all the draws against all the top players and did pretty darn well. You know, so the proof is in the pudding for the Leafs this year. They finally got a defensive third line. That to me is the most underrated signing. Nobody talks about it, but it's the biggest deal because it's the little things that matter in games, and that's one of the little things the Leafs didn't have. James, I, I smiled there because of your article, but also because I think you just guaranteed yourself a, a re-invite for another episode. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, I think, uh, James, I think you and I just became best friends because it wasn't too long ago that I came out with uh, a similar article uh, about how he was probably the most invaluable um, asset that they brought in this offseason for exactly the same reasons that you just, you just spewed out there. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's, he's so underrated with what he's been able to bring this lineup and uh, just the, the, the big defensive zone face-offs. I mean, I think he's like 62 or 63% uh, uh, defensive zone starts. And I mean, for him to, to, to take those face-offs away from guys like Matthews and Tavares, where you were throwing them out the last couple of years and to be that guy that the go-to for, for Sheldon Keefe, um, I, I mean, he's just, he's such a huge asset and it's great to see what he's been able to bring to the lineup. No, it definitely is. And the good thing about David Camp too, is if you notice on the penalty kill, he's out there in that specialty role to win the draw 
then get off and allow Marner to come on. So you now have that Zach Hyman was taking those draws because he was great on the penalty kill, but not really great on the faceoffs, but they needed him out there. So now you have camp to win the draw, get the puck down, and then get the offensive minor Marner out there. And you see what happens on the penalty kill. They're getting shorthanded chances. But it's all because of that first puck control right off the faceoff. Camp wins it, gone. He gets off, offensive gets on, especially on the penalty kill. Teams aren't expected to be, you know, attacking on the penalty kill. And it puts a lot of teams on a flat foot, especially if you look at the New Jersey Devils. You know, that, that goal by, what, uh, Kerfoot and Mikheyev? Yeah. Uh, hello. That's all because of those <laughs> kind of things, though, right? You know, you know, I think the other thing about camp that's worth bringing up, too, is this guy is a veteran now. He's in his fourth full season. He, he played 46 games five years ago, so we'll, we'll say four and a half seasons into his career. His career high in points is 19 in the season, and he's on pace for 28 this year. And nobody saw that coming because, you know, I don't know about you, but when they signed camp, I think the first thing that I saw was that, J, that stupid J Fresh chart where it was just so much red all over the chart. And it was like, well, this guy brings absolutely zero offense. I don't know why Toronto signed him. And it's like, but the you know, defense I, was blue. Yeah. Exactly. And for what, like, honestly, what he's been able to do this year, I wouldn't care if camp had zero points this year. And the, so the fact that you're getting a guy who can put up close to 30 points on the third line and also provide that defensive value on the third line. And basically everything that you guys just touched on can totally see why the argument could be made that he's been their best signing so far. No, and and also just, I love it. Five goals. Five goals this year already. He and his goal output already. Key, and for the record, key that goal key moments too. For the yep. record, that goal against the Devils on Tuesday night looked almost identical to Matthews. It right did. Oh, or was yeah. it on was it on back Tuesday? Was, I'm I'm losing track. No, no, yeah, no. Tuesday. Camp's goal. He only scored one of the games. No, no, no. But the Matthews scored and then Camp immediately scored right back right. to back in the same, same spot, spot, same yeah. shot, everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, yeah. That was very similar. It's a good thing. It you was brought Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a very yeah, I forgot which game was somebody a lot of throw up right there. Just put those two videos side by side, throw it up. <laughs> Thousands of views. People yeah. love that stuff. Eat it up with spoon. <laughs> so James, we talked a little bit about the uh, the trade deadline this year, and there's an ad, there's a there's a guy that the Leafs could pick up after the deadline, but not through a trade. Um, I want to get your opinion on Josh Holsang and what the Leafs should do with him. I mean, because the thing is with Holsang is clearly the Leafs are taking a similar approach with him as they did with Alex Galchenyuk last year. They're sort of giving him some time to really marinate in the minors and really get his game together and get it to a place where it wants to be before they offer him a contract. And obviously I'm sure you heard his quote the other day about how he said, if another NHL team uh, approached him about signing him to a deal, then he would talk to Kyle Dubas first. Um, so I want to get your take on this. Do you think Hosang is a guy that the Leafs could use in their lineup this year and a guy you think they'll sign this year? Or would he be better suited almost as a next season option when you can guarantee him a, cho- uh, a chance to compete for a spot in the top six? I'll say one thing. What do you need in the playoffs? You depth. need depth scoring. You need depth, depth, depth and you scoring. need scoring. <laughs> I mean, all the above. <laughs> depth is, well, depth is huge, right? I mean, Mike Babcock, when he was here, he was going on about depth. And one of the things that you need is offensive depth for sure. Defensive depth, yes. But for the Leafs, where they're so reliant on their two lines to be offensive heavy, if one of those guys goes down, you need the next man up. And who's the next man up? Is it Nick Robertson? Maybe not yet, but he's going to be there. Is it Josh Hosang? Josh Hosang's showing you it can be. And here's the thing. The Maple Leafs wanted to sign him when Marner went down this season. They did not sign him because all parties involved wanted to see what happened with the Olympics, yeah. and that's where he's, he's at. 
If he signed with the Leafs even for one game, he's no longer eligible to go to the Olympics. And both the team and the player and the agent and everybody else involved said, hey, the best path for him to keep growing his game and growing his confidence is to go to the Olympics. Then you get Josh Hosang, who was great in the AHL, probably going to be great at the Olympics, coming back to your team after all that experience, jumping on the Leafs. Yes, I 100% think the Leafs are going to sign him, and I 100% think they're going to give him some games down the stretch, whether it's in the bottom six or top six, because if the Leafs, for whatever reason, are locked into two or three in the Atlantic, because that's pretty much where it's going to be. I think Florida's going to run away with top spot. But if they are two or three, and there's no chance of any other team catching them, you're going to have guys resting. You're going to rest a Nylander. You're going to rest a Marner or a Bunting. Whoever takes a licking, Kasha. We all know what Kasha takes for beatings every single game. The guy gets wallpapered every game, gets back up. You know, so there's going to be a game where he needs to sit out. Throw Hosang in. See what his skill can do. Mix him in with Tavares and Nylander. See what happens there. I want to see it. I know you guys probably want to see it. And I think he can hang, you know. And so, yeah, I definitely do think they signed him. And I definitely think he's a guy that you're, you're excited about. And he's free, guys. You're mm-hmm. not paying a pick for him. All you're doing is paying him a contract and a contract spot. That's it. No assets need to be given. He's already a part of your organization. So if he comes in and contributes in any form, that's a free pickup. Thank you very much. I will take that every day of the week. And most likely that contract too is going to be in the six figures. It's not going to be a million. If it is, it's probably going to be around a million, but I don't think that it's going to be that high, but it, it, a contract's a contract. And the fact that he looked obviously some rest in the preseason, but he looked really good driving in that top six role. And yep. then he goes under the AHL, still sniping, still scoring goals, goes to the Olympics right now. I think his confidence is at an all time high that if he does get that contract, it, the, the sky's the limit even further for him right now at this point. Well, it speaks to what the organization did for him too. Yeah. Because even if another team comes to him, he still wants to go talk to Kyle Dubas and say, Hey, this is what the offer is. So that speaks how glowingly this organization has treated him from top to bottom and really rebuilt this guy, you know, not just the player, but the image and the whole nine yards, because as soon as Hosang came to lease, everybody was like, well, why do you want this guy? He's a problem child. Everybody says he's a problem child. Well, the same thing with Galchenyuk. They brought him here. They rebuilt him, made him a player. Galch could have stayed a Leaf, but he wanted to go make more money. He could have accepted a lower term and stayed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Didn't want to. He's probably kicking himself now, wishing he did. Yeah. But, hey, we got other options. Josh Hosang is going to be a Maple Leaf, and he's going to be a part of this playoff roster. And, again, it's the next man up mentality when somebody goes down, and he's a skilled player for your next man up. I think it's going to be very unanimous with everyone on here that, yeah, get that contract done. I want to see it happen. And speaking of what's going to happen in, you know, the second half of the season or, you know, considering the second half already started before the all-star break, what are your expectations for this team? Because for me, it's all about obviously continuing the momentum that they had Mitch Marner and his goal scoring, Um, you know, Campbell trying to find his footing again, just maintaining that consistency and the effort level. Cause I know Keith has talked about that quite a bit, especially after the New York Rangers game, they don't want to be soft and purposeless. Is that the main thing that you're looking at as well? Or is there something else that's we're overlooking in terms of what should be done in the second half? Um, for me, it's going to be, what do you have in Sandy and Lilligren? 
Um, those two players, you, you're trying to move them along in their career path. But this is a season that's so serious for the Toronto Maple Leafs and not to quote the doc, but it really is all or nothing this year because you know that Kyle Dubas will probably be out the door. You know that Sheldon Keefe will follow him because that's Dubas's boy. Um, and you know there's going to be trades if this team doesn't make it past that first round. So you're bringing these two young defensemen along, but when things ramp up towards the end of the season and some teams you're playing are fighting for their playoff lives and it turns into that playoff mentality hockey before the playoffs start, what do you have in those two guys? And that's why I'm so steadfast in the fact that at least need to go address that beef on the back end, but they need to make sure team defense stays a thing. I said in the video last night for Jack Campbell, this team needs to be committed in front of blocking shots and doing all the right little things to show Jack Campbell that he can have the confidence himself to play, but to show that they can play themselves that way. And them winning 7-1 to one showed that they don't take their foot off the gas. They can win those games and be that dominant team. Because a lot of times you see the Leafs go up in a game and towards the end of it, the foot's off the gas and they they win 7-4 or 7-5 when it should have been 7-1. So for me, it's team defense. And if you guys remember, when this team was rolling, like absolutely rolling. Guys like Kasha, Kampf, Bunting, even Marner, and the defense, they were laying themselves out and blocking shots, just getting in lanes and doing those things that you used to love. I don't know how, how you guys used to watch Leafs, but Danny Markov was huge oh, yeah. for me blocking shots. Mm -hmm. Dmitry Yuskevich, you know, yeah. Shane Corson, Darcy Tucker, they all used to lay down and just didn't matter. Blast me with the puck, I'm blocking it. Didn't matter. That's what this team needs to get back to, that team mentality of you're not getting the puck on our goaltender, not a chance. I'm going to lay out. I don't care if I'm a star player or a fourth liner. I'm blocking that shot. I have to ask, uh, second, you know, Peter mentioned the second half of the season, but right now going into the All-Star break, I think this is the best we've seen Matthews and Marner play at the same time. So, you know, Obviously, Marner with his seven-game goal streak, uh, you know, Matthews right back into into the, the scoring um, on pace for 61 goals again, and they seem to be doing it at almost the exact same time. This is what they want in the playoffs, but is this the best we've seen Matthews and Marner, like, in at the same time, I guess, is what I'm saying? Um, yeah, you know what? I would say it's probably one of the best for them. Um, the first rip for them together was probably one of their best too, because they finally got to release all that pent up tension, <laughs> I guess, of not playing with each other. And I don't mean to say it in that manner, but you know, they finally got to do the thing that they wanted to do that Babcock wouldn't let them, you know, it's like finally getting to play with your favorite toy. Um, but now they're back at it. The thing here, you look at Mitch in the playoffs last year, you know, crying in the penalty box, all upset, you know, what is Mitch? When is Mitch the best Mitch? When he's the Red Bull drinking, laughing, joking, Fortnite playing guy. That's when Mitch is Mitch. That's when Mitch is having fun. That's when Mitch is a stick that stirs a drink. And that's what he is right now. You listen to what he's saying. I'm not, you know, focusing on my shot. I'm just snapping it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm just ripping it. He's having fun. Same with Matthews. He's having fun because they know they can do these things. And when these guys are having fun, that's the best part. And I've said this for the longest time. There's no dark cloud over this team this year. There's no Babcock controversy. There's no Matthews contract. There's no Marner contract. There's no Nylander contract. 
this season is just go out and play. There's no problem story here. Jack Campbell is the thing that's got to get signed, but he loves playing there. And he's not making any fuss about his contract. You know, so this for me is the most clear sky the Leafs have had for a season. You know, yes, we know there's pressure to do well in the playoffs, but through the regular season, these guys are going to have a blast. And by the way, I'm not seeing very many people talk about John Tavares and his over a point per game season he's having right now. Just saying. A lot of people still ragging on him saying, I don't know why we have him. Go check the stat line. Mm-hmm. Guy's over a point mm-hmm. per game. I'll take that every single day of the week. I'm sure if he was in any other market, he'd be one of their leading scorers, if not the leading scorer for their team. So, yeah. Well, James, I know it's getting pretty late out east there or down east, whatever you want to call it. So we're not going to take too, too much more of your time here. But I do have one more question for you, and I'm, I'm going to sort of tee it off with a little story of my own. So when I was 16 years old, um, actually, yes, I would have been 16 years old, uh, got this wicked birthday present. I got to take two friends down into the uh, the Platinum Lounge at Scotiabank Arena and watch the game. Uh, we had we had seats pretty, uh, pretty close to the glass. And... Um, I was sitting down in the platinum lounge and I saw Brendan Shanahan sitting in one of the corners, just sort of, you know, being the, being the quiet, keep to himself businessman. He's kind of on the phone doing his own thing, whatever. So when he got off the phone, I went up to him and uh, I asked him for an autograph and he, he didn't say, he didn't say yes or no. He just sort of kind of like motioned for us to sit next to him and then got there. Sorry. It wasn't an autograph. It was just a picture. All we wanted was a picture with him. So, you know, we go and sit down with Shanny. And we get the picture done. And I, if I find the picture, I'll send it to you. Because he did not look too, too thrilled to have us uh, have, have three 16-year-old guys disrupting his quiet time and asking him for pictures in the Platinum Lounge. So the reason I bring this up is because you were telling me a little bit before that you had a chance to go out, go uh, to the Leafs Development Camp in Halifax. And uh, you have your own little Shanny experience. I want you to tell us. <laughs> so, yeah, what happened was um, we got the VIP um, lucky to win it. Uh, they begin media credentials are right here. Absolutely awesome. I got them framed because it's pretty cool to be a part of that. So there's literally a, a velvet rope beside me, just thin little rope. And standing beside me is Brendan Shanahan. My buddy looks at me and goes, hey, you got to ask him for an autograph. You're never going to get another chance to do this. And beside him is Kyle Dubas, Mark Hunter, Lou Lamorello. The whole Leafs Brain Trust is right there. So I turn to him. Hey, Shani, would you mind signing my jersey? You know, this one right here behind me. He looked at me dead-eyed and said, can't you see I'm working? Like, just snap. And then look back at the ice. And you could tell everybody that was beside him in the least brain trust was like, we're here for them. We're here for this. So he turned. He's like, hang on. He signed it. So we talked about the origin story of this podcast. I think it was my fifth episode in. I was so excited to do the Leafs training camp one. And so I go into it and I'm talking about the story and I have the picture. I'll find it and I'll send it to you guys. Brendan Shanahan at that point, I don't know who showed him. He followed the show. He followed offside hockey talk. So that was like my crowning moment. That was like when we were at like 200 followers, he followed. And my buddy was like, that's when, you know, you know, it doesn't matter. Somebody's listening at all times. But I told that story. I was like, it's not the way I want to meet someone you're so excited to meet, especially for your favorite team, you know. And lo and behold, like I said, he did sign the jersey. But that's my Shanty story. He snapped, and I was like, wow. I will tell you, though, the nicest guy there, we were walking out of a door I don't think we should have been walking out of. Lou Lamorello came out of the other deck, 
he spent 30 minutes with us talking about the Leafs and just everything. He's the, the signature right here on the jersey. Took all the time in the world. I have the pictures up on Twitter. You know, he's actually like, I'm crouched down like this because he's very small. He's a, not a tall guy at all, but took all the time he wanted. Talked about stories about Jersey, Marty Brodeur, the Leafs, what he expected. Absolutely awesome. Um, the other story I got is I did get to talk to Mike Babcock when he was here in Halifax for a wedding. The one question I got to ask him before he had to go, I said, when are the Leafs going to win? He looked me dead eye right in the face and said, when they start listening to me. And he walked away. <laughs> True Mike Babcock fashion. Oh, geez, uh, that is such a Mike Babcock answer. Well, boys, I think that's well. I, I, I think that's what we, we just found our answer to how we get this pod to take up. We just got to go harass Shanny. <laughs> or an autograph or a picture. <laughs> yeah. Autograph or a picture. I, th- I, I, think now, I think it would be best if we try to, try to get, you know, Kyle Dulles to ask him for an autograph, you know. Mm. I will say Man, this, I will... though, guys. Yeah. Once this show got up over, I think it was about 2,000 followers, he unfollowed us. And that was oh. the most gut-wrenching unfollow ever because I do check that little thing, the followers thing on oh, the other thing. And when I saw that one come across the ticker, I was like... You know what that means, though? It just means you made it. It just means you made, made it. it. Yeah, now, that's now, true. Now you're, now you're real media. Now he doesn't want to hear what you have to say about his team. <laughs> right? He, well, wants hey. to, he wants to do it. We still got Reed Mitchell on there, so Reed Mitchell is one of the uh, the higher guys for me. So that's that's cool. That's we'll, we'll, we'll take him, but yeah, no, it's guys, it's awesome. Uh, like I said to to both you guys before, uh, where you jumped on, you know, this doing a show is fun. Getting people mm-hmm. on to talk to is amazing, um, and I'll be the first one to tell you: ask everybody. Everybody wants to come on and talk. Uh, never be intimidated to ask anybody to come on the show. Everybody loves to talk hockey, and as long as you're not, like I said out there to throw them under the bus or get something from them. I tell you, more people want to come on than you ever think. So right on. Well, uh, James, I guess before we let you go here, we'll give you a chance to uh, take the stage for yourself and drop your socials. Uh, let the listeners know where, uh, where we can find offside on, on social media. Uh, you can find me at offside hockey talk on Twitter, dropping the hashtag prediction season videos every single game day. Same thing on TikTok. It's offside T O K. So just offside talk. Um, you can find me on YouTube. Just look up Offside Hockey Talk. Subscribe, like, do all the fun things. Uh, much like I said about you guys tonight in my post, make sure you follow these guys. Absolutely great. Had Hobber on for the season preview show. Uh, it was absolutely wicked. So love to have each of you guys back on as well. So, hey, sticks in the six, man. It's hashtag sit six for a reason. Let's go. Right on. Awesome. Uh, James, again, uh, from the three of us, thanks a lot for joining the show tonight. It was a great chat with you and uh, definitely look forward to have you back at some point. All right, boys. Cheers and goalies go. Right on. Take it easy, bud. <laughs> well, boys, uh, James, like we said, great, uh, great storyteller. I, I loved, I loved what he had to say. Um, you know, give him a follow offside hockey talk. He's, he does some great work over there and always a, a nice little preview for the game has, a, has some giveaways. Um, just a, a great part of Leafs nation. Um, what, what were your biggest takeaways from that interview, Alex? Um, just how dedicated that guy is to podcasting. Oh my God, man. You know, the fact that he said that he got into his, he, he, like he, he'd do podcasts in his work truck and he like, you know, I could see doing a podcast in your work truck. If like, you're just kind of calling into a zoom interview or like, you're actually like calling into one, but the fact that he actually has like a podcast on the go kit with that, that's got the lighting and everything, the lighting, the mic, the, 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 the boom arm and everything. It's like, 
I, I couldn't imagine that. So kudos to James for what he's doing. He was a great, uh, great conversation, obviously. And he, mm-hmm. you know, I think I said this on, on the show, he, or not on the show. I think I said this after we finished recording that with him, but fuck is that guy ever easy to talk to? Like he is the, if you were to come up with like the stereotypical person that you would like to just like go into a pub with, sit down, have a beer and chat hockey with like James fits the bill to a T. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, uh, one of the things he, he said when starting the show was that, you know, his wife told me he talks too much hockey with her and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So you need to start a show. And it's like Alex said, it was almost like sitting down with, with an old buddy, just, you know, laughing and shooting the, shooting the shit about, uh, you know, our favorite players or our favorite teams and, and uh, talking some, talking some puck. Like, what'd you take away from that interview? Yeah. It actually felt like we were just at a bar. I mean, obviously we can't do that right now because of the restrictions and everything, but it it did feel like, you know, we were in a bar, we had a beer around us and, you know, we were just, like you said, just shooting the shit, just talking and just, you know, get like just telling stories, giving insights of what we think about this team. And you know what? Uh, yeah. Really fantastic guy. I mean, th- th- there's no other way around it. His, his insights, the amount of knowledge that he has, which is absolutely great. And you know, the fact that he's been doing this for this long and the amount of following um, the dedication that he has, it's just absolutely outstanding. And you know what? Um, shout out to his wife because if she didn't recommend the whole podcasting thing, then we probably wouldn't have offside talk. So, um, but yeah, no, really great guy. Would love to have him on the show again. Um, maybe hopefully at, at some point, maybe we meet up at some point because I know that yeah, I know at some point we wanted to do like an out east trip with Nick Roberts. I, I was just gonna Nick say, Richards, <sighs> and then maybe we we get James to tag along with us. So yeah, we've got like up, more than one on reason to make it out east now. Exactly. There That's you right. Go. That's right. The sticks and the uh, six Eastern tour. We got, we'll do one stop with lamenting the Leafs and we'll do another stop with offside hockey talk. Let's just grab, let's grab an old RV or something like that. Just go on, like go on the sticks road, bring six RV, pack up, our, pack up our podcast uh, bags and just uh, get on the road. Like, uh, <laughs> like James did. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know we're, we're getting into leaf talk, but I want to give a quick shout out to, I think, I think, uh, you have it on as well, Peter, the, uh, the Canada women's game. Uh, it's back up. It's yes. going, uh, they're up two nothing mm-hmm. right now. Philly scored again for Canada to put them up to nothing. Um, the next one. Can we talk about how crazy it is that they're wearing masks underneath their, their cages? Mm-hmm. Like I, is that common mm-hmm. practice? I, I haven't been able to see their first two games here. So I, I I'm not sure that's common practice. It isn't. I think, and Alex mentioned this too at the before we even started recording. I think there was an issue with test results not coming back, and the game was postponed or delayed for a certain amount of time until they were able to all come back. And I think maybe they're just wearing the mask underneath, uh, underneath or like over their, uh, I mean, the mask along with the cage as just a precaution. Um, that's my only take because we don't know. I mean, I would hope that at this point they're all cleared and they're just doing it out of precaution and there were no positive tests, but if there was, that's going to be really big, a big situation on our hands because the Russian team was on the ice and the Canadians were in their dressing room and the Russian, the Russian uh, women's team had a COVID situation of their own before the tournament started. So I'm, 
I, I just want to be optimistic, positive about everything, because I think that's the only thing that we can be at this time right now. So long as it's not affiliate, because uh, MVP right there, boys, MVP is Already. spelled F-I-L-L-I-E-R. So be sure to be sure to look at that when the uh, when the tournament's all over, because I can guarantee you that she's going to be in the conversation. Um, but uh, let's let's get to leave talk, and we'll, we'll kind of stick with Canada for a second, because men's hockey is going to be getting underway fairly soon. And Josh Hosang, property of the Leafs right now or the Marlies anyways. Um, and obviously we talked about him a little bit with James earlier, but uh, he's a guy that uh, could be seeing top line minutes with team Canada alongside Eric Stahl and Mason McTavish. What say you, Peter, with Josh Hosang possibly being a top line guy for Canada? Love it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, that, 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 that's just going to be the simple answer. But no, that's fan, that's fantastic news for him, considering the fact that, um, you know, he's off to dominate. Well, not off to dominating, sorry, but just absolutely lights out good for the Toronto Marlies this season, where he has eleven goals, nine assists, and you know, it good on him. I mean, this this is a player who. Had it, who basically every team just basically turned it back on him, including the Islanders in the farm system. And the Kyle was gave him an opportunity, and he's absolutely running away with it. Dominant season got on Team Canada's radar now that when um, you know the uh, NHL wasn't going, and now he has this opportunity, and now he's playing on top with a former Stanley Cup champ, potential. Um, you know, Hall of Famer, fantastic international career in Eric Stahl and a budding young star coming up in Mason McTavish. I mean, that line just spells great balance. You have everyone that can contribute offensively and they all play with a high level of intensity. And I think that's going to be a nightmare for teams to go up against. Yeah, what I thought about when I when I saw it happen was one that he was recently playing overseas, so he, he kind of knows the the bigger ice surface as well. Mm-hmm. But two, he's got the speed, and you add Mason McTavish to that as well. And you guys know how high I am on Mason McTavish. I'm pretty sure I'm getting McTavish tattooed on my back at some point. Um, <laughs> but uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on Hosang getting that opportunity to play number one line? Yeah, not too much else to add that Peter didn't already hit on. Um, I think it's going to be a very exciting to watch because you've got Hosang's, uh, he, you've got his clear-cut speed and offensive abilities. You've got Eric Stahl's veteran presence up the middle, and then you've got Mason McTavish, and we saw what he was capable of doing in the during his brief stint at the World Juniors. He was Canada's best player, in my opinion. Um, obviously, I think a pretty common opinion to have based on the way he produced in those first couple games. But, uh, yeah, it's a great dynamic, and um, I'm excited to see how that line works. I mean, obviously, Eric Stahl as well. I said this on the lounge this morning that he knows international hockey better than anybody. I mean, whether it's world juniors or Olympics or world, world cup of hockey um, or world championships, I guess not world cup of hockey, but uh, yeah, either way, Eric Stahl's uh, he's worn the maple leaf, the red maple leaf, I should say on his, on his chest for, uh, um, for multiple occasions. So it's going to be interesting to see how that line works out. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Not the Eric Stahl, noted triple gold club member. Sorry, Andrew, yes, I just wanted no, to no. get that out there. <laughs> no, no, great, great fact. I was just making a joke about the dark maple leaf that we have on our Olympic jerseys. Still not a huge fan of it, but hey, it is what it is. Um, 
Yeah, the the black maple leaf. I'm not a fan of, but the black jersey with the red. Yes, I I I've always I, they, as soon as they announced those jerseys, I have always been a fan of that one. The yes. black and the red mix. I I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, absolutely no. I I, I agree with you there. Um, I I we again talked about with James, but a lot of trade talk circling the Maple Leafs recently, um, trying to find that piece that they need to make it past the first round and maybe go on a run this season. I know, obviously we talked about it last week. Josh Manson's name has been circling the, the Maple Leaf uh, conversation, I guess, over the past few seasons. That said, he does have a modified no trade clause and the Leafs are on his no trade list. I don't, again, I, I wasn't pro Manson coming in as it was, but does this add um, like a bit more complexity to the situation, Alex? Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because someone did bring up, I can't remember who it was. I know I did this morning on the lounge, but I can't remember what my original source was that Josh Manson's no trade clause was, or his no trade list, I should say, was from 2019, 2019, 2020. So, Keep in mind, that is a much different looking Leafs team compared to this year's Leafs. Um, Having said that, I was saying to Peter before, like, if there's any truth to that, that if you want Josh Manson, that you really, really, really have to, like, make it worth their while. You have to really give him an enticing offer, and you really got to sell Toronto to Josh Manson right now. I don't really know if it's worth that that much effort to acquire him. I think there are other guys you could add that, you know, have a little bit more term. I think Josh Manson's a UFA after this year, is he not? Yeah. Or does he have yeah. one more year? Yes, he yeah. is a UFA. And, you know, we'll get to this in a bit as well, but Kyle Dubas say that his preference would be to target somebody that's got maybe a little bit of term and a little more security. So if that, in that event, I'd feel more comfortable trading for a guy like, say, Scott Mayfield or Connor Murphy or someone like that versus going out <clears throat> and essentially going head over heels to try and acquire a guy who's got Toronto on his no trade list and a guy that might command a first round pick. So if it comes down to that, um, I, I think the fact that Toronto's on his no trade list makes me a little less eager to trade for him. I know it was two years ago. So if I, I don't know if that still holds true today or maybe his opinions changed a little bit, but with, with the way he's another American guy and with the way that the COVID restrictions have kind of gone in Canada, I think that's another thing. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'm not going to paint him under the same umbrella as say like a Justin Falk, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 if, Manson, if Toronto's not on his no trade list, I, I probably wouldn't go to the trouble to really make a conscious effort to try and trade for him. I mean, and on top of that, Justin Falk didn't play too well when he was in Canada anyway. So, um, <laughs> you know, you never know how that'll play out with Josh Manson. So, um, but Peter, Josh Manson, I mean, he's a guy that you kind of have talked about over the last couple of years over at the Hockey Writers. Um, is he a guy that still kind of on the radar for the Maple Leafs or – are we looking more towards maybe a Zach White cloud, maybe a Connor Murphy, maybe, uh, you know, somebody along those lines with a little more term, um, maybe a little bit more stability on the back end. Yeah. Uh, you just brought up one of my, one of my favorite targets that I think the Maple Leafs should target no matter what. Um, yeah. I, I mean, in theory, Josh Manson is an ideal player that they would like to have, but, Given his no trade or the Maple Leafs being on the no trade list, I mean, can it still happen? Yeah, but is it going to be worth it? And as Alex mentioned, you have to give up a first round pick most likely in this. And 
in uh, Mark Masters, he had an article come out about Dubas's sort of like deadline plan. And they only have three picks again this year, and he would like to hang on to them. I, he said, ideally, I like to keep the picks. We are trying we are trying not to be short-term or confine ourselves to any window. We are not going to be able to just pick in the second and fifth round every time and find players that can produce. So ideally, he would like to keep that first-round pick. You, Alex brought up Scott Mayfield. I think maybe you could try and move a, uh, you know, B-level prospect and a mid-level or mid-round pick in maybe next season where you could give up a fourth or a fifth rounder for Scott Mayfield. You can also possibly look at, and I, I've, I've mentioned this last week as well, and you brought him up right now, Zach Whitecloud, on two reasons. Um, it doesn't quite make sense considering that he signed a six-year extension at 2.75. So just remember that number. That number is really good if you're the Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas. One, Scott Term, six years. Two, 750K more than Justin Hall. And three, Jack Eichel and Alec Martinez are on the verge of coming back very soon. So there's 15 million coming off LTIR and they're going to have to probably create some space. Now, I'm not saying that Zach Whitecloud constitutes that because he's only making 725,000 this year, but down the road, it's going to be tough considering that they have to fit that in within the cap and they got other UFAs and RFAs to deal with. Number four Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore, those two occupy the right-hand side for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Shea Theodore can play the left-hand side, but when Alec Martinez comes back, you have like basically Martinez and Petrangelo and maybe McNabb and Shea Theodore as your top four. Zach Whitecloud, I think at some point, is probably going to be a player that can earn top four minutes. And he would be an ideal situation or ideal player for the Maple Leafs to try and target. But Dubas has also said that he wants to give the opportunity to Sandine and Lilligren and see what they can do more, considering the fact that they're still rookies, trying to just find their way, get their footing. They have been great, have looked shaky at times, but again, they're rookies. So maybe he holds off on that, and maybe that, se- that second pairing goes to Timothy Lilligren down the line. So a lot of options for him. Um, I-, I still think maybe Zach Whitecloud is the perfect candidate, but hey, um, whatever he does, it's going to benefit the team. And the fact that he wants to keep a first round pick shows that maybe he does like, he's going to be all in. Cause maybe the fact that he has a great puck mover in TJ Brody or not uh, Morgan Riley, solid defensive com- uh, partner in him with TJ Brody, Jake Muzzin, hopefully he's able to come back. So you have the depth. You want to see how this team works right now. So maybe he's just, playing it patiently but at some point he's going to have to make a move because tampa bay is going to be all in making it bringing in an acquisition florida is definitely going to be all in making an acquisition and bringing somebody great in um they were looking at jacob chikrin so you got to keep up you got to make a move whether it's a big name player or someone to help out with the depth he's got to make one so let me throw out a suggestion here um jake muzzin dealing with concussion like symptoms right now um, obviously, you know, he's making strides in his recovery, but what if he's a possibility to put on the LTIR and use that cap space Tampa Bay style going mm-hmm. into the playoffs? 
Um, and I only bring that up because I, you know, you mentioned him at the tail end there and, and I keep thinking about cap space and how they might have to go after a bigger name. But on top of that, um, going back to your white cloud suggestion for a second, it reminds me very much of the Nate Schmidt situation where, uh, you know, they had to, they had to rid themselves of cap space, uh, with, with Schmidt on there and basically dealt him away for nothing. Um, and and exactly. I feel like they're going to be at that point again with Eichel coming back, with Martinez coming back. All of a sudden, you're at, you're you're putting yourself in a position where the cap space isn't on your side. And I think Vegas is going to be an interesting to, one to watch as we approach the deadline because yeah. uh, you know they're going to have to they're going to have to make a move, and and somebody's going to have to go. And maybe it's not just White Cloud because, as you mentioned, he's only making seven twenty five, but there there's a chance that you know vegas vegas is going to move some big name players uh even even as potential um contenders going into the playoffs again this year but mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's a lot there uh alex what are you taking away from what dubis dubis brought to the table in the uh the latest masters uh musings well it's first of all, I'm just going to say I don't envy him because this this deadline is going to be um, an absolute minefield for him to get through. But I think I think a lot of what he does at the deadline is going to hinge on, like you said, what where Jake Muzzin's at. And also, I think either way, he's going to be forced to make a big move because you know that Tampa Bay and Florida are going to be doing that. Yeah. And at this point, you know, you're pretty, I won't say you're guaranteed, you're guaranteed, but there is a very strong chance that you're going to end up having to face one of Tampa Bay or Florida in the first round. And, and, you know, if Florida goes out there and gets a big name player on the market and Dubas doesn't do anything and Florida ends up beating Toronto in the first round, that's basically Dubas giving up his job right there. He might as well just, he, he might as well just leave on his own terms at that point because, you know, he'd be getting fired either way. So I don't envy his job, but I do like the fact that he is sort of trying to consider the future because they've only got the three picks in this year's draft. And, you know, I know a couple of of the past years have shown that the Leafs don't necessarily need a first-round pick to get first-round talent. The way they got Matthew Nyes this year, they got Topi Nemo the year before, they got Nick Robertson the year before that. So obviously the Leafs don't need that first-round pick like other teams might, but at the same time, you don't want to pillage your future for another Nick Foligno result like last year. So I think the fact that Kyle Dubas is going out there and making a conscious effort to try and um, try and trade for guys who will be able to help beyond this year is big. I know that at the trade deadline, rentals are the big thing, and that's kind of where everyone goes all goes all in. It's like this is our guy; we're going to give it a shot here, and if he. It, you know, if it doesn't work out, <clears throat> see about bringing him back, but he could also leave in free agency. I don't think Dubas wants to risk that this year because, you know, we obviously saw the way last year's playoffs ended and everything. And basically, if, you know, if you're not going to, if you're going to lose in the first round, you don't want to be losing in the first round and giving away assets in the process. And <clears throat> I think that's really all it comes back to. You know, what did the Leafs walk out of 2021 with? Didn't have a first round pick. Um, didn't win, didn't get past the first round of the playoffs. So at that point, 
I think Dubas this year should be trade should should be looking to trade for a guy like he said that has term. And you know, if it comes down to trading for a rental, I obviously understand that that's the way to that's the way they might have to go because, as Dubas said in his own words, it's not uh, um, it's he, he doesn't always get to make moves the way that he wants to. Doesn't always get to like kind of execute on his preference. But yeah, they uh, they they are going to have to make the most of their moves this year, either way. And I think you're most likely to do that by trading for a guy with term. I do want to say I think that's the one part where the cap has kind of hurt the league is is at the trade deadline. We I mean we used to see deals that were, you know, crazy deals for teams that are are go, going on a run. And you know I, I understand the 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 want to create um, kind of that parity in the league, but. I do think it's hurt the in in season trading to to, to an extent. Um, yeah, I mean, I think right now if if you can't acquire a guy that has term, I I don't I don't want to see the Leafs really go out and get another rental because I think to get that rental you're going to be paying, you know, with one of your either your first or second round draft pick this year. And like Dubas said, you know, this is a year where you want to kind of hold on to those picks. You want to you want to see what you can grab in the first or second round there is some, some solid talent in those, those first two rounds. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's, it's something that they have to consider going in, but at the same time, you know, you guys talked about Tampa Bay, you talked about Florida. Well, Boston's already made the best, you know, best acquisition they could have made in, in getting Tuka Rask back in that. Mm-hmm. And that creates a little bit more of a log jam in that, in that uh, Atlantic division and puts a little bit more pressure on Kyle Dubas, you know, going into the trade deadline. So it, it he will have to do something. Um, at this point, we're talking about Muzzin being out God knows how long. You're talking about a third pairing in Lilligren and Sandine who don't have the most experience. And you're talking about a guy in Justin Hall who just is not the Justin Hall that we saw last season. So there's a hole back there. There's a hole yeah. back there and they've got to find a way to fill it. I will add that one <clears throat> one take that or that I or one takeaway I had from Dubis's press conference today that I think sort of puts a damper on your idea there, Forbes, that they might you know kind of pull a Kucherov with Muzzin and put him on the IR until the playoffs. It was the way that he was talking about Jake Muzzin and how he says that the one thing he admires about him is the fact that every time people seem to think he's kind of losing a step or or hurt or whatever, he comes at he comes back and he proves everybody wrong. So. I don't think that in saying that Dubas would do something as mischievous as putting him on the, on the long-term IR. I don't think Jake Muzzin would want that to begin with. And I think if he, you know, Kucherov may have been, may have been a bit of a different story because when the lightning put Kucherov on the IR, I think it was like, Hey, uh, if I be able, if I come back, I might be able to, you know, come back for the last three weeks of the season. So, Hey, we'll give you an extra vacation. We'll just activate you in the playoffs. But for Jake Muzzin, as much as you do want, you don't want to rush his concussion protocol and you want him to come back when he's fully healthy and not still battling his head, inju- his head issues. I think that could be as soon as like maybe, maybe a couple of weeks from now. So I'm not sure that Dubas would do something like that to Muzzin. I think it would, I, I think if anything, that would just kind of sour the relationship and make it even harder to trade him in the off season. If that, if it were to come to that. So that's, that's all I was going to say on the, on the, on the Muzzin fronts. I, uh, I, I read that quote from Dubas and I think he really likes the way that he, uh, he, he carries himself and he handles himself during times of adversity like this one. So that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. And I, I, I agree with that. I think 
I do think that if Muzzin's ready, he'll be in the lineup. There's no question. I don't. I I I can't see Dubas saying, you know what, it you're ready to right go, away. but we're gonna push you another two months just to get us into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, Muzzin's a he's a player. He's he's a he's a he's a guy that you need out there. And I I think we've seen that the way that Muzzin plays when he's at the top of his game, um, you know, the Leafs are better for it. So. I, I, I'm just saying if there is a hiccup at some point in his recovery and they have the ability to kind of push it that extra couple of weeks, like you said, you know, Hey, I can, I can come back with three weeks in the season and they say kind of, no, you don't leave it, come back for the start of the playoffs. That's a different story. Um, you know, it, it's, you kind of wait after seeing all the, all the BS go on with the, the lightning and, and Kucherov, you kind of wait and see if you're any team, see if you got a guy that you can put on LTIR and, and kind of, you know, bend the rules within the rules. So, um, yeah, no, it was just, it was more like if there is a hiccup in the, in the recovery process that maybe that's an option for them. But I like, like he said, Muzzin's a gamer. He wants to be out there. He wants to be on the ice. He wants to be crushing bodies. He wants to be blocking shots. He'll take the hit to make the play. Um, that's just the guy he is. He's a Brantford boy. Um, you know, hard nosed blue collar hockey. That's 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 what they're made of. I just wanted to add one more final point. That I'm glad that Kyle Dubas wants to hang on to as much picks as possible. I mean, you can't always draft second, third, fourth, fifth, and expect to try and get any farther away. I mean, granted that the Maple Leafs have a deep prospect pool already. I mean, that first round pick for Nick Felino, they could have had Carson Kulamans, Lambos. Zachary LaRue or Oscar Olafson this year alone, if they're able to keep the pick, like you mentioned, Andrew, there's some quality talent. I mean, there's Kevin Kurczynski, there's Nathan Gauthier. If he falls down to maybe that 27, 30 range, Owen Pickering, uh, Cali Adelius. I'm really high on that kid. Um, You know, does he go Susie Mariru, Bryce McConnell, Barker, Owen Beck, a lot of great talent that the Maple Leafs can have if they keep that first round pick. If they have to trade it, so be it. But hey, if you keep it, you're still getting a really great prospect this year because this is a, even in the late round of the first round, there's some really great talent no matter what. To answer your question, absolutely. He goes the Sault Ste. Marie uh, Greyhounds route. I think oh, it's, God, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a given. Uh, but. Although I think he, with McConnell Barker, you can probably get him in the second round. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I think he'll fall to the second round as well. But um, guys, any any kind of takeaways from All Star Weekend? I know we don't really talk about All Star Weekend. It's kind of you know it is what it is. Um, bland. It's very bland. Yeah. It's very. I'm gonna bland. be I'm gonna be completely honest. I didn't watch a second of the All Star game or the skills competition. <laughs> I was I had things going on both nights. I, I saw the Zegras goal. That was wicked. I obviously saw Matthews and Matthews and Campbell's adorable little videos do, from their press conferences challenging <laughs> each other to say snake bite and it's Vegas, Vegas baby. baby. What, is it snake bite? Is that was that snake the right eyes. thing? Snake, snake eyes. eyes. Why, did I, snake why eyes. the fuck did I say snake bite? No, well, I mean they're in the eyes. desert. Yeah. They're in the desert. Snake yeah. bite. Yeah, yeah, either way. Snake yeah, and rattlers, man. <laughs> I saw, yeah, so I, I got the gist of how things went down at the All-Star game. Apparently that Fountain game was a complete failure, and so was the 21 and 22. Um, the yeah, Fountain I don't have anything else to say. Interesting. The, Fountain, the Fountain was interesting. I really liked that. It's just the blackjack, the 21 and 22. If someone takes all the aces in the face cards, like, that's just not fair. 
Like you only have one round to do that. They like they need to fix on that. It, it was great, but it just didn't quite work out. And also, John Ham, I got beef with you. How the hell can you give a nineteen to Alex Petrangelo when Trevor Zegers did a dodgeball, blindfolded, full on Peter Lafleur? It was pretty sick. One handed, and he still blindfolded, and he still scores. How do you mess that up? Listen, I, again, I love John Hamm as an actor, but man, you totally dropped the ball on that. That is absolutely a joke, and he should. Pro- and if the and if he's going to be in the skills competition or breakaway challenge again, he should not be allowed to vote. Speaking what's, what's, of John, sorry, go ahead, Forbes. No, I was just going to say, what's crazy is he's like he's a crazy hockey fanatic too. So like, for oh, him, to, yeah, I mean. You have to remember that he's he's a St. Louis guy, Louis, sure, yeah. right? He, so, he, he's got to be a little bit biased Petro, with Petrangelo, obviously. Petro's his boy, right? So Exactly. I mean, that said, I'd like to see what kind of blindfold that was as well. Just, uh, you know, you know, I think there, there might have been a little bit of cheating there. Magic trick. It's Vegas, I man. I don't know. You know, <laughs> the, the one thing I will say about John Hamm is last year, I admittedly was getting very sick of his Skip the Dishes commercials. I wasn't. He was just John. John Hamm is just you know this multi-million dollar actor, and yet he, yes, he. This guy just absolutely loves his Skip the Dishes, and I was getting annoyed by them until they started putting out those stupid fucking commercials of the guy in the ice bucket. Now all I want is those John Hamm commercials back. Yo, Brando, hit me with those. What's the point of those commercials? See his latest one though, with uh, going through Apple TV, and he's like, he's like, you know, everyone's on here. Where am I? Where am I? Snoopy. Snoopy. Yeah. Snoopy's on here, but <laughs> where am I? Yeah, it's a good commercial. Um, my favorite one is, is again, the wings where he's just like, yo, Brando, hit me with the wet naps, baby. And his hands are like, oh, Brandon, give me the shirt. And he just gives him the t-shirt. Thank you. <laughs> this that, is my that, smorgasbord that is my favorite board. <laughs> smorgasbord board. Smorgasbord oh, board. Jesus. Get, get these commercials back, man. Like, come on. Yeah. I know. I'm so sick of hearing <laughs> that guy in the bucket. <laughs> Fuck. Like, what? What? What is he supposed that was to be? So perfect, dude. Have, can you tell how many times I've had to listen to that fucking commercial? Like, oh, dude, when during the World uh, Juniors, when that, when when it was on, that was on every other time, and people on Twitter were just like, "Oh my god, get this shit off the TV!" That's, I don't think so a, annoying. That's actually why they canceled the World Juniors. Nobody wanted to see the commercials anymore. Because of those commercials. Yeah. Like, what? I don't understand oh, what the point of them is. Like, is the guy supposed to be, like, is he speaking a different language? Or is he su- trying to speak in English, but he's just so cold that it's not coherent? Like, why is he pulling his phone out of the fucking ice bucket and ordering chili? Like, it's just, it's such a stupid commercial. There's only, there's only one way to figure that one out. Next, next week, we're all going to be sitting in ice buckets and recording our episode. For the whole thing, just to prove a point. Thing. And oh, I will order chili mid episode. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> but you have to pull in. your, you have to pull your phone out of the bucket though. Remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Soaking wet in ice water. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go down in the basement, get one of those like plastic <laughs> bins that I have, and just fill it up with ice and water, and just be like. <laughs> That's the last one right there. It's the high pitched one. Oh god! And then you hear our mic just plop into the yeah. into Fuck. the bin full of ice water. It's like, oh well, we can't we can't record now. Mic's busted. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Commercials are not what they used to be anyway. But, that wasn't uh, in the prep. 
by the way, no, for anyone listening. No. We didn't plan to talk that's, about Oh, no, that was just random. Yeah. yeah. That's, we, that's went from jump, we, went, we, we went from All-Star Game to John Hand to skip the dishes to the guy <laughs> in the ice bucket. Uh, okay. Most perfectly. So I, will, I will tell you, though, I've, I've got a new addition to the cave, okay? Ordered my – did my first ever eBay order, okay? I've never ordered anything mm. off eBay. I'm not an eBay guy. I'm, I'm more like – I go AJ Sports. I go Frameworth. I go all that kind of stuff to add to the cave. Um, I went Goats. eBay because I don't know if you guys you guys know the McFarlane's figurines. Oh, those old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they have like you know he did a lot of sports sports uh, figurines uh, figurines over the over yeah. the. Uh, I have a Matson Dean Quebec Nordiques one. Nice. Okay, so the big thing with them was that they he made specific jerseys for for certain players and then he'd make make like limited edition for um those same players in like other jerseys whether it was the away jersey or what have you anyways he made a landy mcdonald calgary flames um figurine uh and my my father-in-law is a huge lanny guy like i got him a lanny puck for christmas signed by lanny i actually interviewed lanny mcdonald years ago for the hockey writers um, and it was a great conversation. The guy's, the guy's a hell of a guy. Um, anyways, they made limited edition Toronto Maple Leaf Lanny McDonald figurines. I picked one of those up on eBay. It's going up on the wall, probably somewhere over here with all these other McFarlane's, the, the nice. Crosby Golden Goal. Um, so I, I just, you know, one of those things. I, I'm sure once we get this uh, Sticks in the Six TikTok uh, going, I, I'll walk you around the cave. I'll show you some of my pieces. It's you know, it'll yeah, be that's some gonna fun, be the first one. Some fun content for you guys. But speaking of pieces, I know I mentioned this last week off the air. I am still in the process of getting the one coveted piece that I've seen for quite some time. So if it, if it's like a Pamela Anderson signed Baywatch bikini, I swear to God, no, it it it, it is not that. I don't know why that was the first thing that you brought up, but it is hockey related. So, it's, hey, it's Disney Plus is Disney Plus is airing Pam and uh, Tommy. Oh yeah, the whole Tommy, oh, Lee, Tommy Lee and Pam thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? I don't know if you guys saw my tweet about that the other day, but you know the you know the meme of the old man like in pain, like with the coffee mug in front of his in front of his laptop. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I posted that and I said. This is Brandon and Dylan Lee waking up every day and seeing the internet talk about their parents' sex life on Disney Plus. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Fuck. Did you imagine hey. being being Tommy Lee's sons, man? Here's, uh, here's my mean, thing. Here's my thing. If you didn't want it to be seen, you shouldn't have made a video. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have made a video. <laughs> that said, everyone's got to yeah. have a video. <laughs> Since we're already off the rails and off topic with everything hockey related, let's give a shout out to Max Parat and Mark McMorris. Parat won gold in the snowboarding slope style, and and uh, McMorris won bronze. So sweet, two medals for Team Canada in that event. There you go. There you go. Big right. big day for Team Canada on the slope. So congrats to both Max Parat and Mark McMorris. Beautiful, beautiful. Love it. Go Team Canada. Uh, we're here to support you 110%. Um, boys, anything else you want to add before we hit the uh, hit the hay tonight? No. I'm, uh, I, I mean, I will mention that I, just to kind of plug my own work here, I, I released a piece today about the uh, 
history of the Toronto Maple Leafs black players mm-hmm. yes. that they've had throughout uh, throughout their existence. And you know, 977 players have suited up for the Maple Leafs in their history, and only eight of them were black. That is a staggeringly low number. What kind That's of zero point eight? Zero point. Sorry. What kind of response did you get to that uh, that article? <laughs> um, like on the actual article, it was surprisingly good. I had a guy. Um, I had a guy comments uh, t- telling about telling a cool story about how he used to watch Val James, who was, of course, the uh, he was of course the first Black American to ever play in the NHL. Yeah. And uh, apparently, he used to play for this the, the Toronto's. I believe it was Toronto's AHL team at the time in St. Catharines, and uh, Dave Brown, obviously one of the biggest enforcers of the 1980s, said that Val James threw some of the hardest punches that he's ever had to deal with. So. That was a pretty cool story, uh, pretty cool comment left by one guy. Um, I'm assuming you asked me that question in reference to the guy who responded to my tweet earlier today. Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. So when you mentioned that article, I think first off, it's a great article. I mean, absolutely. Like we look great. at Sebastian Jackson, who was on the show, and 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 what he's doing for Black History, and and, and sharing his, his his family story, mm-hmm. sharing historical facts. I mean, this is something that goes beyond February. Like we we got to recognize Black excellence. And my wife showed me this great little thing. Sorry, I'm I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent real quick here, but she showed me this great little thing about not just recognizing. Don't don't be the person who says you know I don't see color. I, I see color, but I value every little bit of importance that comes with that color. So contributions, yeah, yeah the contributions, the excellence, the, the, the steps for that, you know, us as a community are taking um, from every the impact, step, the impact that you've had. That's what we have to recognize. And it, it goes beyond February. We need to recognize that, you know, all the time. And, and Sebastian is challenging everybody on Twitter what are you doing to change that? What are you doing to, to make it different? And Alex, I love that, you know, it is February, it's black history month. It's, you know, the fact that you're, you're, you're looking into the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the fact that it's below, like it's such a staggeringly small I, not, not even 1%, not even not 1%, even, yeah. not even 1%. Um, it, it, it's insane. But I, like, like you said, check out the article. I do want to hear what you had to say about that response on Twitter, because I was shocked. Well, it was just, you know what? I, I, I make a rule. I make a rule with myself that, first of all, this should speak volumes on its own, Forbes. I didn't even know that that guy responded to my tweet until you you uh, sent the little clown emoji from the six <laughs> account because it was one of those responses that Twitter just clearly figured that w- figured I wouldn't value it all, so they it's left like, it we don't want little show more replies. You know what I mean? Twitter's like, so, uh, we don't want Alex responding to this. No, it's not even that. Like, what I, I've always found that when when you get these shitty ass racist or sexist or homophobic comments from these yeah. burner accounts with two followers, I notice that they always fall under the show more replies tab. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't even yeah. see this comment, and that should say enough about the guy. And then he responded to me, and just for you know, you can go and look at it. I'm, I think the guy blocked me in the end, so whatever. <laughs> but he essentially just said, "Oh yeah, there's no, no nothing." no better way to preach equality than by singling out a single race. And it's just one of those things where I just had absolutely zero reason to want to even have that conversation. And the guy, and then I told him that I said, well, it's a good thing. No one cares about your opinion on this matter. And he, he responds back to me saying, 
uh, oh wow, way to come out, fi- come firing out of the gate with insults instead of trying to have a conversation where we no, can make there's... actual progress. And I'm just like, dude, you've got 200 followers. I don't know you. You don't follow me. I don't follow you. Did a quick check of his Twitter account. Not to, and you know, obviously not to bring this up again, but a lot of pro trucker convoy tweets, a lot of crypto stuff, a lot of. I could, you could just tell looking at some of these accounts that you, they're just not worth arguing with. And so I told him. Wonder if he knows that. I was just about to say, I wonder if he knows about the Bitcoin crash. I lost like $3 trillion. I didn't even know about that. I I didn't know about that. (laughs) I'm old old though. So that's why I don't know about that shit. Yeah. I I, I mean, like, like that's just like the ignorance shows. I mean, it's just absolutely asinine. and, And it's sad that people still have that mentality and try to act like they're a big shot and stuff like that. And it's just like, no, you're just garbage. Simple. Yeah, I I don't even I don't even want to give that guy the fucking time of day anymore. So yeah, we can end we can end that conversation there. But I will say I, I will say go out and check that article because I learned of a yes. couple names there that I I had, I had no idea ever played for the Leafs. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do the research on that article. And I agree with you guys. You know, black excellence needs to be amplified 20, 20, 24 hours a day, twelve months a year. I guess is what I was going for there. I kind of. Doubled the doubled the value there, but yeah, twelve months a year. You know, Black History Month is great, but we need to be talking about this twelve months a year. It Absolutely. was also great to see some like like vintage names like Andre DeVoe, Jamal Mayers, Mark Fraser, like and Andre DeVoe now works for Toronto Pearson Airport on their fire services team. Cool little tidbit. Nice, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Peter, anything you wanted to throw out there before we close it out? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just want to add again, Alex, great job on that, uh, Black History Month piece about the Maple Leafs. Um, re- really great job. Um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I got something in the works about the second half of the Maple Leafs and three players that maybe you should probably keep an eye on, but, um, that, that's, that's about it for me. Rel- relatively quiet, probably something else, but that's what I got in the works right now. All right, boys, real quick, I'm going to throw it. Not only is it Black History Month, it's also Heart Month. Take care of your hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my son was born with a, uh, a, a bicuspid aortic valve. Um, so he's, he's got, we call it his little special heart. Um, and uh, it's, it's so, so important to take care of yourselves. So be sure to get checked out. It's, it, takes, it takes half an hour out of your day to go ch- get checked out. Make sure everything's functioning well. And, uh, you know, celebrate black excellence, not only in February, but year round, uh, as always, boys, thank you everybody for uh, checking us out for episode 70 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barrichini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow Alex at Alex or sorry, a Hobson media. Uh, you can check out the podcast on Twitter at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, or wherever you download your podcasts, Amazon, you name it. We're there. Check us out. Download, hit subscribe. Take a look at our YouTube channel as well for some great content. And as I mentioned, we will be hitting TikTok hopefully soon, maybe in the next week or so. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. Check out all of our channels. And as always, shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for a great intro. Until next week, boys. Here's to another week of Maple Leaf Hockey.